Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 75 of the Great Divide podcast, the final leg on our journey to Damascus. And this is the longest episode of the entire series. So enough of my babbling. Let's just jump into it. Believe it or not, we've got one song left, and yet it's still the longest episode in the series. Why, you may ask? Listen and find out. Okay, the last song on Driving to Damascus, Grace. And we've got another very religious-themed song. Tons of Christian overtones on this song. Um, tons of biblical allusions on this song. And it's interesting, the album comes kind of full circle with that. I mean, we started out with huge biblical references, and we come back to the final song, and it's also filled with biblical references. And again, in, another interesting um, comparison between the opening and the closing is that Driving to Damascus is a song about love in the spiritual sense, loving your fellow man, loving um, loving the world, loving the, those who are hurting the most, loving loving your enemies, you know, the, the, the classic biblical Christ-like uh, proclamation, love those who persecute you and and do harm to you, and that's kind of what we get in Driving to Damascus. And in Grace, we get another song about love, but it's a different kind of love. It's it's a love of a sexual nature. It's it's sex itself. This is a song about sex. Let's just come right out and say it. Are, um, are you really saying that there's sex in a big country song? Yes. Really? Yes. It's not quite... I am not, outraged. <laughs> it's not quite as obvious as it is on The Teacher. You have no. to you have to delve a little bit more deeply than just you know the teacher might as well be a, a porn novel you know it's like a like a penthouse forum letter it's so obviously about sex oh, oh my gosh <laughs> but no, th- this you have to delve a little bit and uh, I have to admit I, I didn't know at first when I heard this song but I've come to think you know, that's obviously what it is and and we'll talk about this there's one line that makes it clear if you're not sure as as it moves on but. It's also an interesting song considering what we just came off of, Your Spirit to Me. And uh, it's it's interesting because there are still a lot of um, spiritual references to this song, in this song, and, and references to some sort of spiritual relationship lifting someone up and giving them some sort of help. But in this song, he seems to find what he's looking for, <laughs> at least. Um, at least he... he, he derives some satisfaction from what he's looking for here. And and it's interesting how this song, we go from a song where he's clearly searching for, for God, searching for Christ, and he's having trouble finding what he's looking for. And then the album, you almost could think that that would have been 
the best album closer would have been your spirit to me, but it would have been, it would have made some maybe better sense in a way that ending the album with that, but we end it with grace. And it's interesting how we go from that, this quest for God and, and the spiritual thing to what amounts to a song about sex. But as only Stuart could write it, it's, it's not the banal writing about sex. It's not the, the base nature or the the animalistic urges of sex that we would get in a in a classic kiss song or 20 i got it's... the urge to merge <laughs> <laughs> i want to put a log in your fireplace <laughs> such classics Th- those are all actual kiss lyrics ladies and gentlemen oh this is getting out of hand um but yeah the, this is completely different i mean Stuart is writing about sex in a in a very spiritual way like this is this is sex that actually has a spiritual component to it it's taking him to a different place spiritually and um it's kind of an interesting way to to craft a song and uh you know as a steward often is and these last two songs man i mean just the 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 subject and the way he's chosen to uh, approach this subject Stuart doesn't disappoint He's uh, he's at his unique best in in these last two tunes, without a doubt. So I think the I think the place to start with this would be uh, let me just start with the music. This song has probably the well, I think obviously the most Middle Eastern influence on it. It's got uh, a variety of Middle Eastern Indian type of instruments instrumentation. I think it's got some sitar in there. It's uh, got some some Indian type of percussion that goes through it. And but as I said before in one of the other songs, I, I really all, have always found that that sort of style is really pretty close to the the Celtic sound that we all know and love from Big Country. It's really not that far removed, and I, I think they make a really great marriage those two styles, and we get it in this song. I think the opening is just really, really cool and really um, hypnotic, trance like in in ways. And as we get into this song later, we'll see how it the musically it kind of builds up into this point where he kind of works you into almost a, a frenzy and and that works perfectly well with the subject matter of this song so the only problem that i had i remember having with this song is that i hear that god's great mistake riff again in this song when it kicks in differently um it's not played as a lead part as it is on god's great mistake but it is that melody yeah it's the same melody and and we got it in in the demo of driving to damascus as well so it's like they really love that riff yes <laughs> somebody really loves that riff they want to work it in wherever they can but any criticism that i had of that kind of evaporated when mark kicks in on the drums i, I think that opening portion is probably the best groove on this album and mark is just playing this just this great shuffling groove and it's so cool it's so catchy and it's so as i said it kind of is preparing you for this trance-like state it wants to take you in there's a 
There's a song called Grace, and it's, it's a little bit like Fields of Fire, but it's kind of like this. one gigantic problem with this song musically that I'll talk about. It's almost a travesty for me. Um, and again, it comes back to Rafe McKenna. And I think it's such huge, huge missed opportunity for making this song even much, much better and taking it to a level that should have, should have been obvious. And it was not, it was not done. I don't understand why, but I'll talk about that when we get there. Um, Tony's bass. I love it. He's, he's playing this, He's playing higher up on the neck, and he's got just got this great tone, and so you know that mixed with with Mark's drum parts and the Celtic guitar, the Middle Eastern sounds, really cool, really cool opening, and a really great um, new sound in a way for Big Country. And we we've talked about this a lot on this album, how there are a lot of good examples of how the band was branching out and evolving, but they were still remaining true to their core and remaining true to their essence. And I think this is a great example of that. You, you hear big country all over this song, but you also hear new sounds that you've never heard in a big country song before. There's a lot of promise in this song and others on this album as to what could have been and, and other directions they could have taken. But the lyrics starting out with your head is a temple. I walk with the lamb. Now the lamb is metaphorical for Jesus in, in Christianity. Jesus is often called the Lamb of God. And lambs are also very important in Ju Judeo-Christian um, belief structures because the lamb was used as a sacrifice. The Jewish faith, they would sacrifice a lamb for their sins. They, literally, they would take a lamb, sacrifice it, and that would be the offering. The blood of the lamb would be for their sins. Um, when Christianity came about, Jesus supposedly became the lamb and said there was no need to, to do this anymore because if you accept him, he is the, the one-time sacrifice that, that was made for your sin. So accepting him is removing the need for, for doing this sacrificial ritual with a literal lamb. Anyway, probably more than you wanted to know about religious history. <laughs> um, that, that shows you what I know, because I thought it was more like the Lord is my shepherd and I am his lamb. So I, I took that differently. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, lambs are all throughout it. But yeah, I, I always took it as a reference to Jesus, especially when he says, I walk with the lamb. Um, and then at your fountain, I wash the blood from my hands. I, I always took that as a Pontius Pilate reference. Uh, Pontius Pilate, the the Roman curator who was uh, trying Jesus before he was crucified. One of the things that he did was he didn't want to sentence Jesus to be crucified, but he saw all of the people um, who wanted it and were demanding it. So as a way to 
assuage himself from the guilt, he took a bowl of water and he washed his hands in it as a symbol and said, I have washed my hands of the blood of this man. So I, I don't know. That doesn't really have anything to do with where this song is taking us. But there are, I think, I think those are obvious biblical allusions and references to things. But then we get into this line, I pray deep inside I pray deep inside you no one can see Except for the spirit that binds you and me And I think that is the first clue. Oh, yes. (laughs) There's the first clue that this song might be about something different than just um, praying to God to forgive your sins. So this is a relationship that he has with someone where, you know, the sexual portion is obviously the part that's being discussed in this song, but it seems like this is, that goes along with this whole feeling of whoever he's with is giving him some sort of spiritual connection. And it's almost like he's finding what he was looking for in your spirit to me in this other person now. It's it's kind of interesting. And I don't know if that was... I, I know people put a lot of thought into the track listings of their albums, so I have to wonder if he if he was thinking thematically that he wanted this song to follow your spirit to me for a reason, or if it, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But I, I do think it's an interesting... Um, connection between the two songs like he's he was looking so hard for some spiritual epiphany in the previous song and he seems to have found it here but in a different source than what he was than where he was looking in the other song so he's finding he's finding what he wants um, in this woman and she she is actually releasing his soul making him feel free and bringing him cue it grace um and that's the chorus. You bring me grace, and that—that's probably one of the other issues that I always had with this song. I never really got into that chorus, and just just the fact that he's repeating the word grace and and stretching it out, I guess, over all of the those stands or over all those measures of the chorus, it always felt a little awkward to me. You bring me grace. So that that's one minor issue that I had with it. Um, but then we've got that the next verse. Your heart is an altar. Your heart is an altar. I kneel in disgrace. Awaiting redemption. I seen on my face. When I am weak, I feast on your love. For there's no one below you and no one above. And what what must it feel like? I, I can only imagine to be a woman who this is being sung to. <laughs> some of our some of our female listeners will have to let us know on our page. Uh, would this would this be something that would win you over? You know, someone singing these lines. I'd have to think that it probably would be. I mean, good lord, those are some intense lines of devotion to this woman, whoever it is, and and putting her up on this gigantic pedestal. I mean, he's kneeling in disgrace in front of her and seeming seemingly you know, putting her in this position where she is above him. Yeah, and he and he did that. This is me down here shining up your shoes. Yeah, exactly. That's a position he's been in before, no doubt about it. And and in this one, you get the sense though that this person is is more welcoming to him. Um, yeah. The line the line for "There's no one below you and no one above" 
I, I thought about that line a lot, and I kind of took that almost to be like, um, you know, God is often called the Alpha and Omega in the Bible, the beginning and the end. And there's there's nothing before him. There's nothing after him. He was the beginning. He will be the end. In a way, I, I kind of take that line to be of a similar nature to that. Not not that he's considering this woman God, but she is she is almost taking a godlike savior like role in this song. And you know, I don't know if if the the entire um, intent from the singer is is to have that moment <laughs> with her if it's all leading to just get what he wants physically but um no obviously it's it's more than that there's there's something about this connection that he has with her that uh that goes far beyond the physical aspects of it but those are clearly a huge part of the song but then we get to the final verse and this is where it's driven home and what this is about if in case you were not sure up to this point one could say pound at home <laughs> yes pound at home yes thank you if i am weak i will be blessed if i am tempted i will confess your love is a sacrifice i am the blade by your little death are both of us saved you bring me grace the little death comes from a French phrase, la petite mort, the little death. And that was a phrase that was often used to describe an orgasm, um, even back in medieval times. In fact, in medieval times, it's interesting because reading about this, um, they actually believed that every orgasm would remove a portion of your life force. So uh, there were many medieval doctors and medieval physicians who believed that too much sex was just really not good for you because every time an orgasm was achieved, part of your life force was was left you and could not come back, the little death. Um, Is it any wonder they called it the Dark Ages? <laughs> I know, I was going to tell you, I was going to say, man, it's like, what a wonderful time. Every time I, the more I hear about medieval times, the more I think that might not have been a great time to be alive. Um, and by the way, there were no forks in medieval times, hence there are no forks at medieval times. I screwed that up. That's a line from the movie Cable Guy. I'm sure no one will get it. I will edit that out because it's a useless line. Anyway. Can I get a knife and fork? There were no utensils in medieval times, hence there are no utensils at medieval times. Would you like a refill on that Pepsi? There were no utensils, but there was Pepsi? Dude... Got a lot of tables. So yeah, so in medieval, in medieval times, they thought this was the little death, and every time you had an orgasm, part of your life force was drained. So it wasn't necessarily a good thing. But then there's also, it, it also does have good connotations because there's the idea that when that state is achieved, you sort of lose a sense of consciousness. You have that moment of of bliss, and you, 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 it's almost like dying in a sense, but in a good way, you know, for for just a few moments. So. Anyway, so that the little death clearly refers to that, and as Svein said, that pounds at home. That this is what this song is centered around. It's it's centered around sex, and it's centered around sex, but on a on a different plane than we might be used to dealing with with sex in a rock and roll song. And uh, I find yeah, that even, even even though I think that Gene would be very happy with uh, "I Am the Blade." Yeah, 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 he would love that. That that could go into a lot of metal songs. Oh, I yes. am the blade. 
blade. Your love is to sacrifice. I am the blade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that actually would work perfectly. Come to think of it, but um, yeah. So I mean, it's an interesting song. It's an, an interesting choice to end the album, and maybe in some ways, it's a it's a a good way to end the album because at least it's giving you something positive to think about as the album is ending. I mean, like this character, if, if you want to think of, of Stuart as the same type of character who's existed on this album from song to song and going through all these changes, which you, which you could possibly do. I mean, a lot of the, you, you could almost look at it as a long, as a long road of, of interconnected stories and tales here that, that he's been experiencing. So if you look at it that way, I mean, he has finally had a Damascus experience at the end. <laughs> you know, oh God! It's not you exactly. Just, you just tainted that phrase. <laughs> it's not exactly the Damascus experience uh, he was looking at in the beginning of the album, but it's it's completely different. But as long as you have a smile at the end, yeah, and and it's like you got to smile a little bit when you when you think about this song in that respect. Um, yeah. It's, but it's also, it's, it's, it's an intense declaration of love to someone. And, and so you got to respect that as well, because it's not, it's not just a typical sex song. And Stuart has always said that he doesn't want to write songs like that. He never wanted to write songs like that. He he said many times that there are way too many of them. What's the point? Um, And so when he does approach that subject, uh, he always adds something a little different to it. And I, I think this is the quintessential version of that. I mean, what an interesting song equating sex with a, a spiritual awakening, uh, taking him to another plane spiritually by having physical relations with this woman. So, you know, we don't know who this was about. It, it could have been, you know, just the, the storyline would make you, or, or the timeline, I should say, would make you think it was about his, his fiance and the woman that he uh, ended up become, being with, but who knows? But, um, it clearly is ending the album on at least something positive. And it's a really, as I said, it's a really interesting approach to take for a song that's about a physical relationship with a woman. And and beyond that, a spiritual relationship with a woman, a connection with the woman. So, but you could also look at it as like, is this even something real that Stuart experienced? Or is this something that he's written again, where it's something that he wishes he could have in his life? Mm. You know, is because the real life or is it just fantasy? Yeah, yeah, because we brought this motif up quite a lot in this album, um, and I've mentioned it in other songs where he's he's laying out a kind of relationship that he wants, even in Dive Into Me and Perfect World and other other tunes where he's laying things out that aren't really necessarily realistic. Um, and I'm not saying this isn't realistic, but it, it, they're certainly much more difficult. I mean, in some ways, the the, the description that he gives of this whole experience in some ways mirrors the whole hero who saved the world type of thing that he talks about in fragile thing. I mean, this is a, this is a gigantic, um, I, I, and very rare place that someone would get to, to, to find someone who gives them this sense of, of, uh, spiritual in, in enlightenment through having sex with them. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's a really gigantic, uh, theme to this, to this song. So, yeah, that's a question that can't be answered. I just wonder, is this something that he wrote based on 
personal experience? Is it, or is this something that he wrote that was purely fantasy? Like, this is the person that I want. I wish I could have this type of relationship with someone. I'm going to make it manifest in a song and write it. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, so that, that's basically the, the lyrics and my interpretation of those. They're pretty, pretty straightforward, but still have that mystical quality. And it, it's, it's a great addition, I think, to the album and the themes of the album that we've had. Musically, I've talked a lot about the music already, so let me just get to the the main portion of the song that I both love and have a gigantic problem with. And that is, I guess I would call it the solo section. It's more of a bridge section that, that goes into a solo. And toward the end of the song, um, after the last verse, leading up into the final chorus... There are both some amazing things about this portion and some things that I think are just mind-boggling as far as a missed opportunity production-wise. And this is the section of the song where we get to that point where it's almost like this trance-inducing portion of the song musically. You've got this droning note being played. You've got these Indian instruments. And I used to know what these were, but I can't remember what they were. Maybe you know. Um percussive instruments that are being played in the background. And for some reason, I'm even thinking that Bruce played them. I, I kind of remember him saying something about that. Um, but whoever played it, it's it's a great addition to the song. It's It's got, it adds so much to it. And it adds to that whole ritualistic dancing around a campfire, everyone's on peyote type of feeling. And you've got these, these cool um, guitar riffs by Stewart that he's playing. The, the classic guitar riff where he's got the open string droning and he's playing... Uh, playing the other um playing other melodies over that and it's starting to build and it's starting to build and now on the live version of this song it it just it built perfectly um when i heard this live on that lemon tree uh performance and i remember thinking wow what a great moment what a great moment for when this solo comes on because in the live version it starts to build everything is played kind of muted but with the sense that something is 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 boiling something is coming um did i just say that <laughs> yeah, i guess i did but that gave you a pass on that one all right yeah sorry but that i mean it, it is completely in line with the song subject matter lyrically because you it's that sense that something is boiling to the surface and there's about to be a big explosion here and the guitars are slowly build slowly build and then live when that solo kicked in the drums kicked in, the bass kicked in, and Stewart just hung on this one note, and he just played it so furiously and ferociously, and it was like, <laughs> you know, this is great. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, that's a great, great solo moment. And it's it's a little more like hard rock type of traditional rock solo than maybe I would, always would want from Big Country. But by this point in their career, they were, do, were doing that a lot anyway. And it works beautifully, and it's great. Now, the studio version, 
they start a, they start it right and they get it going in the in the right way and i'm expecting that to happen the the guitars are muted they sound even better they've got all these other um instruments going on great great instrumentation here with this middle eastern sound and then it starts to build up and you get you get Stuart playing those guitar parts in the background and then it it builds up to the solo and the solo just does not explode the solo does not happen the way it should it in fact the guitar the, the I'm trying to explain this so that you know people can understand what I'm trying to talk about because this is again a, a musician type of thing here but the guitars that Stuart is playing as that part is building those are kind of muted and in the background you're aware of them but they're not overpowering they're not in your face they're just kind of adding to the whole ambiance of the sound when it gets to the solo that's when an entirely different guitar should have been brought into that mix and that guitar should have been right in your freaking face it should have been it should have pummeled you. That that moment was waiting to be that orgasmic moment musically of the song, and it was right there for the taking. And Rafe McKenna completely, completely blew it. <laughs> Did I just say that? He, he went limp. <laughs> Thank you. Rafe McKenna completely lost it. He completely lost it at that moment. That bastard. It, not not only does it does the explosion not happen, but he uses Stewart plays the solo on exactly the same guitar that he's been using to play these muted parts and he plays it and it and it's played at exactly the same level of volume and intensity as those muted parts So to me, it's, that's a travesty. It's like this song had was ready for that moment. It was ready to build up to that moment. And then right at the last second, Rafe McKenna started thinking about his grandmother. And he started thinking about baseball. <laughs> Something came into his head. His grandmother and, playing baseball. His grandmother playing baseball in, in grandmother underwear. And it just completely... <laughs> It completely got lost. It did not happen as it should have happened. And I know this seems like much ado about nothing, but really, I think this is a this is a great moment that should have been there. And if I would have produced it, and I know this is ridiculous, like who are you? But I, I just think it's so obvious. I, I I would have brought in a completely new guitar there as soon as that guitar solo kicked in. I would have brought the drums. The drums would have just destroyed at that point, and um, every everything would have would have been that musically would have been that feel that would go with the lyrics and the orgasmic nature of the entire song. And I don't understand why he didn't do that. I mean, I think that is just such a big missed opportunity in that song that could have, could have raised it up, you know, quite a bit for me. This goes back to the whole thing that I've been saying throughout this album. Rafe McKenna has done some great things on this album production wise, but in my opinion, where he's failed at times, and this to me is the worst example is understanding when You've got to have some big dynamic changes in a song to, to lift the listener up emotionally. It's got to have more of those up and down moments. And he gets it kind of right sometimes, but he just never goes, in my opinion, he never goes as fully in a particular direction as he should. Um, 
Now, there is a great moment in this song that I think is is chill-inducing, and, and that is the line, and I, I kind of missed this before, but that is the line where Stuart says, by your little death are both of us saved. There, that, that line is really powerful to begin with, but then um, when he delivers it, there's just this cracking, great snare hit from Mark. Your love is a sacrifice, I am the blade, by your little death. Are both of us saved? You bring me great. I think that's a really great moment. Stewart's singing kind of um, intensely there. The snare hit really accents the moment perfectly, and then it goes into the chorus. But man, I, I really, I'm just, I just get angry about that solo section. I, I just really wish that could have been better because from the moment I heard that live, I was expecting that um, on the studio version of the song, and I just thought it was a great a great moment that was a missed opportunity. So anyway, there's my, there's my one rant for this album. And uh, probably no one would have expected that it was about the guitar solo in grace, but you left it late. Yeah. What can I say? Well, at least you got it in there. I got it in there. So it's very possible that hearing the song live ruined it for you. It it could have. And by the way, did you just say at least you got it in there? Yep. Okay. Glad you picked up on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Have I said anything in this song that uh, hasn't had a, you know, double entendre? <laughs> I don't, Even I don't, that had one. I don't Never think mind. so. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that's the end of this song for me. I, I think I think it's a I think it's a strong song. I've got some issues with it, so it's going to keep it more in a middling rating for me. Um, but I do I do think it's a it's an interesting song and there are a lot of really positive things about it from the subject matter of the song to the instrumentation of the song to the feel of the song. It's got a pretty cool outro too. I sort of like how it just sort of ends. It's almost like it ends with the person just crashing you know, on on the bed, just falling back, spent in exhaustion. Um but I don't think that exhaustion was earned, Rafe McKenna, because of what you did, what you didn't do. And uh, I'm angry at you for that. Even 20 years later, I think the song could have been better. But um, it's still it's still a, a decent song, strong song, and uh, it's it's a, it's a good album closer. Grace was demoed on uh, the second round of the Damascus demo session in Stanbridge in March 1998, and that's uh, a little interesting because that makes this one of the earliest demoed songs. Uh, I don't know if it's one of the earliest written, but it's certainly one of the earliest demoed ones. Um, two songs from that session made the album, which is Grace and President Slipped and Fell. So those are the two um, earliest glimpses we have. So uh, that's interesting for a lot of reasons. And you can listen to this demo version, by the way, on uh, Rarity 7, as usual, track number seven on CD1. Uh, and uh, in light of everything we discussed, um, I have a quote from Stuart, which <laughs> I don't know how to take. Um, he said, again, at the same show as before, Shepherd's Bush, the 2nd of July, this is a song that grew out of you people, because because each and every one of you, you bring me grace. Thank you. So, so I don't know, uh, given what the song is about, or if you just made it an all-round, you know, wider context than the context we've credited the song with so far. But what we have talked about is how this song works on multiple levels. There's the religious context, which is very hard to miss because that's what's in your face. But behind those, if you delve into it, there's also the context of 
a relationship and a very physical side of that relationship. So what I think Stuart is doing here is pulling another devil in the eye on us, where in that song he wrote about the seductive powers of alcohol, but made it to be like a song about a seductive woman. And I think he's doing the exact same thing in Grace, where he's making a song be about something religious and perhaps finding grace in that way, but it's actually about sex. So this is two songs now on the album where he made the song to be about something on the surface that it actually isn't about. And that's interesting, especially as you would think perhaps this is a, a writing method that Ray advised him on as the, the writing craftsman. But Grace is written way earlier than the Ray songs. So again, th th that means that Stuart would go with this direction. And perhaps he was the one who even brought that approach to a devil in the eye. So that's an interesting one. Should never underestimate Stuart. So um, yeah, the religious imagery. I'm not going to actually touch on that because you did that. I have nothing to add. Uh, all I will say is it totally works if you want to see the song as that. And the song could actually well be about that. But the, like you said, there are some things in these lyrics that very much point to the sexual aspect and um, about sexual satisfaction. And I think Arlen nailed it in the speak pipe that we played um, ahead of uh, Your Spirit to Me, where he mentioned also that this is not a song about the lead up to sex or the actual sex or the release itself but about the moments after release with your partner where you feel that spiritual connection and that is very unique songwriting i've heard millions of songs about wanting sex and i don't think i'm exaggerating i've heard millions of songs about that and i've heard songs even about having sex but i can't think of a single other song about the moments after sex and the important thing to, um, we've been making jokes, we've been cracking jokes throughout the discussion, but the important thing here is this is not a tacky song. He makes it very, well, it's a respectful approach to the entire, how it feels and the spiritual connection you have with that other person. And uh, personal, unique, um, between two people. It's It's simply a very beautiful take on that. And in some way, the, the, the more we talk about this, we can actually only make it tackier because it sounds much better in song than it does when we talk about it here like this. Um, well, it's just like the line of the song, spoil this moment with by just talking. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. And that is uh, also a very good example of the post-sex mood. Like you've, you've just done it. You're, you're lying there. Maybe you're holding each other or whatever. See, I can't even talk about that without making it sound tackier. But that's where he says, you know, I'm just with you. I feel at ease. Anything I say now will just lessen the experience from the spiritual peak we had together my soul has been released and we, we had that release together. So now we're just enjoying our company. We don't need to say anything. Words are superfluous to that situation. So anything he has to say won't help anything. And, and they don't need to say anything. So uh, I have to go to the one sentence, by your little death are both of us saved. That, that was this line where this... Um, possible interpretation broke back in the 90s. And that was very funny how that happened and how that discussion went on. Um, like you said, little death or even dying has been a metaphor for orgasms for centuries. It goes back to that French phrase, 
it is very common in English Renaissance poetry. And you can find that line by your little death or both of us saved. You can find it in a number of poems from that time. So uh, him using it here, verbatim, word for word, as it was used then, should remove any doubt. It's not an accidental thing. And the way it's phrased and the way the order of the words, it's a bit medieval in, in style. And the funny thing back then is we had some people who, um, I'm not sure how I should put it, but I can call, I can refer to them as the Christian mafia. And <laughs> I mean that in the nicest possible way. And no, I don't mean that every Christian is, is like that. But we had some people on the list who would go to town a bit on religious analysis of songs. And I remember in particular, ahead of uh, Wide Long Face when that came out, and a song like God's Great Mistake, there we are mentioning that one again, uh, being appalled at how Stuart could even hint that there was a mistake uh, in, <laughs> yeah, in God's that. plan. And um, I, I could mention a lot of examples. Uh, I don't take those people as representatives for anything religious and so, so don't take it that way. But there were some ridiculous things happening with those specific people. So I'm just talking about those specific people. And it kind of topped itself when they took it upon themselves to write to Stuart to air their deep concern about what he was putting in that song in particular. And they actually got a response. They, they forced the guy to respond to them. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, really, I don't remember that. <laughs> really, yeah, I remember it well. So um, without getting further into it, that's what I mean when I say Christian Mafia. Those guys who saw everything in that that view. And um, that takes us to this particular album and these last songs on the album. And they were so pleased, those people. And we were discussing Grace and, oh, yes, Stewart's definitely found religion. And I bet those people did not expect an orgasm to be slammed on the table as an alternative <laughs> take to theirs. And uh, quite well, uh, you know, with good reasons and good arguments. And actually this phrase is well known and this is what it's like. And we started to tear the song down. And to be honest, that was the first time I learned of that phrase as well. So I said, oh, really? And I found it hilarious. The Christian mafia did not find it hilarious. And in fact, it disappeared shortly after. <laughs> so um, I, I think of that a little bit when, when in the context of the song, but uh, so be it. Uh, at the end of the day, like, like I said, the beauty of this song is it will work as that. And if you read it with that mindset and you're not open to other mindsets, you still, the song still works. And that's uh, also a sign of good songwriting. But there's definitely something more going on, and that is the telling line. And um, so describing that moment after release, um, yeah, it's just just beautiful. It's <laughs> That's all I can say. So I'm not going to talk more about that. I think that covers the lyrics quite uh, neatly, and you said most about that anyway. So uh, the music, the opening to the song is very interesting because almost like the previous song, it starts with a sound. And then the instruments kind of come in one by one. You start with that sustained guitar note, then the bass comes over it. Then there's a few more guitar sounds and a quiet rhythm pattern starts being established. And suddenly they're all playing in the intro. And I I always found that pretty endearing in a way that it, it adds to the sort of, they're easing it in, <laughs> easing into the song. And, um, it's uh, it's a nice little warm up to the whole thing. It's the foreplay of the song, if you will. 
and works beautifully. And But once they get into that intro, just like you said, once again, we have the guitar line that reminds me of the intro to God's Great Mistake again. So that's uh, that's been a couple of times on this album now. And uh, this is repeated again later in the song. It's not just the intro. It's after the, the second chorus and before the third verse, there's, there's another go with that same guitar line. And after the third chorus and in the play out, it comes up again. So, so um, I love that line. It's, I absolutely had no problem with it. And I think they must have loved it too. And thought that perhaps this is too good to only be used in a song intro. Because that line wasn't really used a lot in God's Great Mistake. It's very prominent in the intro. And I can understand why they would want to use that part in the actual body of a song. So this was the song. And if you're going to rip someone off, rip yourself off, don't do it to some Australian pop band. Because uh, if you rip yourself off, you end up with Grace. Otherwise, you end up with the music to Bella. But I think, uh, like you mentioned, Tony's fantastic bass line that is going in the verses, that he plays high on the neck. Lovely. Very bouncy and playful. Your head is a temple. I walk with the lamb At your fountain I wash The blood from my hands I pray I think just like the previous song, this is another one where the band goes for atmosphere rather than standout parts. But there are still many great musical moments. And uh, I think um, the standout moment is the third verse, the verse that contains the little death, where there is um, the, the guitars are used for a very specific effect. And that's also where that sitar comes in that we, uh, we mentioned. If I am weak, I will be blessed. If I am tempted, I will confess And I'm just reminded again, I'm wondering if, if Bruce got out his Jazzmaster sitar that, that he built from scratch for peace in our time. I don't know if you remember it, but he Frankensteined a sitar bridged on a guitar body <laughs> and I got a neck to use for it. And that's what he played on Thousand Yards there. Uh, yeah, so, that's a good question to ask. Who him. knows? Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a very fascinating part, and also especially that this is the verse where the little death is mentioned, and then those parts really intensify a bit, even though the rhythm section pulled back a bit, and it's really the guitars making that, that lovely, those lovely sounds. That's, how I can, that's all I, how I can describe it. Um, one thing that I, I don't think you mentioned, but this is a great, great part of the song for me, which is towards the end of the song, there are some lovely harmonies. Some of the final lyrics on the song um, are into the heart of me, to every part of me. You make an art of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely lyrics. And the unique thing about those lyrics is they are only sung by the chorus because Stuart is busy singing, you give me grace. <laughs> and then in the background, you have into the heart of me. There's lovely, lovely, lovely stuff. I, God, yeah. those, those rig really makes my toe curl. It's beautiful. I like Love. that too. And that, and that, that fixes a lot of the issue that I might've had with the chorus, adding that in there because that adds another thing to focus on. It does, but it's only in the last one towards the end of the song. But the, but that is fine because that also again um, gives the song some progression and a build. And we talked about how some songs don't build, and light and shade isn't used. And this at least adds something there. And 
So that gives the song a lovely sentiment as well, because not only are the harmonies fantastic, but the words are fantastic. Into the heart of me, to every part of me, you make an art of me. It's a lovely sentiment that totally fits the, the uh, what the song is about. So it, it ends very nicely, and all's well that ends well, I think. Um, they play the song out. There's a section with a restrained solo. They go back into the chorus, and then they play out, and it's a lovely outro. It's not a crescendo, but it's intense and just very satisfying. And just going into the preparations for this deep dive, I, I actually remembered this song as a fade out, but I quickly found out that actually it has a natural ending. So that was a nice rediscovery after quite a few years. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's that's grace well covered. We um, yeah, you give me grace. Grace under pressure. Okay, so my old review. This was never a big favorite of mine, but I do like it. Again, the chorus just never really grabbed me, although I enjoyed the music of the verses. I do like what they've done here, though, especially the addition of what I think is a sitar, although I'm not sure, during certain parts of the song. The opening guitar riff is basically a rehash of the melody line for the opening of God's Great Mistake. Cool instrumentation here, great drums, great production. My only complaint about the guitars, though, is that the lead part is very low in the mix when it kicks in which I think lessens its effectiveness considerably. (laughs) A strong closer, though. So with that, my ranking is number six, kind of right in the middle. Yeah, and uh, pretty much the same for me. It's number seven. Okay. And with that, we have our total ranking list. And uh, this is an interesting one. The usual approach, as always, I give each song the number of points equal to our ranking to our ranting. Well, <laughs> you, you had a rant. I don't know if I had a rant on this album. I don't think you did on this. No, I think I reined it in for See You, probably because that was the first song we uh, we talked about when we sat down that day, and I can't go into a song cold and start a rant. But uh, yeah, I give all the songs points equal to their ranking, and uh, obviously the lower the score, the better the result for the song. And I'm just going to go through the list. On number 12, See You with a maximum 24 points, two twelves. <laughs> and uh, often we agree on the last one, not for every album, but more often than not. Uh, President Slipped and Fell is 11. Bella is on number 10. Hmm. Devil in the Eye, number 9. Grace makes number 8. Driving to Damascus on 7. Somebody else to 6. And on 5th place, we have Trouble the Waters. On 4th place, we have Dive Into Me. Third spot for Your Spirit to Me, number two, Perfect World, and number one, Fragile Think. That's good. That's good, although I blame you for President Slipped and Fell being ranked below Bella. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's not the greatest song, but it's better than Bella. No, I don't think so. I think the the lyrics are superior, obviously. Musically, President probably has an edge, but not as strong as Bella has the lyrical edge. That's true. That's true. I, I keep going back to the pre- um, thoughts of Bella when I before I knew it was about Kirsten. So yeah, that that yeah. does kind of make it rise up a little bit. Yeah, well, that's interesting. An interesting ranking. I, I I feel pretty good about that. It's usually pretty consistent with what we uh, what we have discussed. Hey there, BC Bros. Tim Eldred coming at you. 
I don't have anything factual to add to the treasure trove you've opened up over the last several episodes, but I would like to share my personal thoughts on Damascus, which has often been there to mark important moments in my life. It was the first album I knew about ahead of release, thanks to the internet era, and collecting the singles in the lead up to the album itself in 1999 was a huge thrill after so many years of finding things after the fact. It arrived in a time frame when my first marriage had ended, and I was building a new life and forging new relationships. Dive Into Me was my personal anthem. Love was indeed a fragile thing. I'd personally lived through See You and Somebody Else. I had a Bella and a Devil in the Eye, though it was a human, not a substance. It was also a time of political and social turmoil, so the commentary songs all had specific grounding. Leap forward to this year. My second marriage has ended, and I've been building a new life and forging new relationships. This giant shift began just as you started the deep dive. I had the album in heavy rotation, and all these songs took on new layers of meaning. The relationship songs gained more context since I was either living them over again or relating directly back to that earlier time. And I think we can all agree that every line of the commentary songs is now dialed into the red, especially that one about a clumsy president. It's hard to love them all, especially those at the top, but we constantly need the reminder to hang on to our humanity. Experiencing the album in those two specific time frames demonstrated to me how the songwriting was both prescient and timeless. And I'm sure I speak for the whole community when I thank you guys profusely for the wealth of information you've put in front of us. Every detail is appreciated. My one and only negative is that the first version of the album I bought was the limited edition with the skewed time coding and the two Raphael's songs tacked on. Nothing against the Raphael's because I like that album quite a bit and I'm sure you'll be talking about it before long. But between that and the John Wayne's Dream edition, I never had the chance to imprint on the album as it was originally structured to end properly with Grace. I never got to hear Grace close out the album without my brain oozing into another song. But these are white guy problems. This is a sublime piece of work that doesn't age one bit as far as I'm concerned. It's the greatest gift I could have gotten as a personal life index, and it keeps on giving today. We have finally made it to Damascus. We have finally arrived, and now we can look back on the entire thing and offer our final thoughts. I think our axle broke a couple times. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it was about to break. I, as always these always end up being a little different, a little bit bigger, a little bit more monstrous than I anticipate. But, uh, man, it's amazing how, how tough this album is. The more you, when you think about it all in retrospect and when you spend as much time as we just did dissecting each song, I got to say the the album has risen in esteem for me by going Mm -hmm. through this exercise. I mean, it's never going to be a favorite big country album, and it's always going to be hard to listen to certain elements of it. But yeah, when you when you just look at the depth of so much of the music and the lyrics, especially on this, and just put that into perspective with what was happening in real life at the time, I mean, it's it's a it's a landmark album in a lot of ways. It's a huge effort, yeah. definitely a huge effort, and uh, you know, one album is going to be your least favorite and you know pick any one uh, that doesn't mean it is without merit 
and I know that this this used to be your least ranked. Do, do, do you find this changing as uh, as we have driven to Damascus? Yeah, you know, I, I think I would have to to rate this higher now. Uh, I I don't know what I would put below it. Maybe no place like home. I mean, I think that was I think that was probably uh, what I was fighting with. You know, like no place like home. Why the long face driving to Damascus? They're they're all vying for that. They all have been vying for that last spot for me. I know. <laughs> Yet peace in our time isn't even in the mix. So Peter Wolf <laughs> and Dave Bates are smiling somewhere, and you are giving them that smile. I know. I know. Damn it. What can I say? King of emotion. Yeah. That's where it all kind of started to go down. But <laughs> but like we say for the individual songs, there's still – it's it's hard to look at these as you would a traditional ranking. It's like it, even my lowest rank album, I have plenty to be happy about and to, and to love about. That's true. And, and actually the whole ranking exercise and the discussion on what, what is a ranking and what, what does a ranking really mean, it's a, it can make you blind to the fact that I like all the albums. And um, yeah, I don't really want to need to force anyone down. It's easy to say that I have a favorite, maybe a couple favorites, but uh, <laughs> does it matter because when you've been through a deep dive like this, then obviously you feel very close to the material. A year from now, it will have slipped again. Very well might. Very well might. And it, and it is. It's it's difficult to reach for this album, you know, because of what happened with Stuart and, and uh, all the baggage it has. But you know, in, a, in a way, talking about it to this degree sort of helps release a little bit of that burden for me. Yeah. So it's like a, a lot of these songs I, w- I was able to go back and listen to. You can never fully divorce yourself from it, obviously, but some of it I'm I'm able to take more at the song at face value now more than I was before, rather than taking it you know, with all that baggage attached. So, yeah. in a way, that's a that's a good thing about going through it and and talking about it like this. It, it certainly helps. It's it's very therapeutic, and it, it gives the album a chance to perhaps be seen in lights of its actual efforts rather than the time it was released in and the stuff that happened around it. Yes. Because that's definitely been the, the case for me. It's it's unfair to view an album that way, but you can't divorce yourself from the fact that this album represented sort of the end times of Big Country and the end times of Stuart as well. Yeah. So, yeah. fair or not, that that's just how it is. Shut we can't discuss the album without mentioning all the different editions of the album that we have. We have quite a few, actually, where the plain CD edition is probably what a lot of us have. There's also a limited edition that was released at the same time in 99. Uh, that was a cardboard sleeve, and it had two bonus tracks by the Raphaels that I've seen some people mention in discussions and some people mention them on the Steel Town. We don't consider those part of the album and it's not big country songs. That's Raphael's songs. Right. So um, that was Shattered Cross and Too Many Ghosts. And that is the release that irked a lot of fans because the track timers on the disc were wrong. <laughs> like when you played, if you play the CD from start to finish, it played just fine. But if you wanted to go to a specific track, then it was the start point was two seconds into the song. Yeah. So you would miss the start of every song except the first one. The first one was correct, and all the others were wrong. And that <laughs> that's an interesting one. I, I have that edition. I had to get it for those bonus tracks. Uh, the Raffle stuff wasn't out yet. Really? So wow. 
so yeah, that was the first taste we had of that. And I think uh, especially uh, Too Many Ghosts could easily have been a big country song. Shattered Cross was perhaps a bit more in a direction that would go to uh, to Nashville for, for the band. But good songs nonetheless. Yeah. So we have those those two editions of the album. And then we have uh, Driving to Damascus German edition, which came um, in 2000. So the next year. The German edition had four bonus tracks being Dust on the Road, This Blood's for You, I Get Hurt, and John Wayne's Dream. Hmm. And then you have the actual John Wayne's Dream, which came out in 2002. That also has four bonus tracks on them. Loserville, This Blood's for You, I Get Hurt, and John Wayne's Dream. And John Wayne's Dream has Your Spirit to Me backwards, which never made sense to me. And also <laughs> some of the songs on the album has different mixes, like there's four vocal up mixes and a Rafe McKenna mix or whatever they changed things around added lines back into song took other stuff out yeah yeah that was worth it for me to get certainly because of those reasons different re- mm-hmm. if you say remix and adding certain lines back into song yeah you, you've you've sold me yeah you, you gotta have it just to analyze it and see what it's all about but then you have the two cd edition that came um, quite a few years later i think it's 2011 is the year i have for that where CD1 is the 12-track version of the album, the normal CD. CD2 has the four extra tracks from John Wayne's Dream, plus the six National Session tracks after it, where they played things rough straight through as a band in uh, yeah, Nashville. I love those. Wonderful stuff. And uh, there's one more edition of it, which is the 2LP edition that came out in 2012. That means you have the normal album on vinyl one, the John Wayne's Dream bonus tracks on side three and the Nashville sessions on side four. And that is a beautiful presentation. Lovely vinyl set. It's a gatefold 2LP release. I bought it just a couple months ago at normal price off of eBay. And I I think someone has a a backlog of them that is just being sold off. So you don't have the, the collector's prices that are absolutely insane for almost anything else. So I bought it and people were encouraged to buy it if you wanted it to get it. I said that in episode 70 as well. If you want it, grab it now. It might not still be around, but... That's it. There's six different editions of uh, Driving to Damascus. And right now, the album is technically out of print. You can't really get it anywhere. And that falls into the whole track situation and no other record label really owning this album. So all the way up to 2012 with the LP edition, that was issued by track. So as late as that track was active, I don't think it's been active since with in any way. So the rarities disappeared and Darn to the Mask disappeared. These were on Spotify and uh, iTunes, and they were pulled at some point. So I don't know what, where that leaves this album. Wow, amazing. Yeah. It's hard to get, that's for sure, if you don't have it. Yeah, I hope you have it. You should be able to find one of these uh, editions around. But yeah, I, I assume most of us have it. But if you're a new fan, at least make sure you have the studio albums. And so get it before it's too hard or before you have to pay 800 bucks to to get a single disc, which you need to do for the rarities. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a great um, great bit of info. Some of those editions I wasn't even aware of. So that's that's good to know. I didn't know there were that many. Quite a few. Uh, in fact, you don't need too many of them. You get the John Wayne's Dream and the uh, German Two City if you don't have the Nashville disc. The Nashville disc, of course, came out also on track as a website release. So if you have that and you have John Wayne's Dream, then you don't need a Two CD German edition. Shit! 
All right. It's been a heck of a long journey. But those of you with long-term memories, if, if any of us still have that, um, think back to episode 70 when I, when I gave a promise that I was fairly certain I would be able to deliver on, but I wasn't 100% sure. But I mentioned then I was hoping that Tony Butler would be willing to expand on the Driving to Damascus comments because we've been reading these for most of the albums. I think we uh, we didn't do it for the first deep dives when we were amateurs, but uh, we have read his uh, comments that he did in 2006 on the Big Country Forum. And he started those with Driving to Damascus and as a consequence, those were quite small. And then he got longer and longer, kind of like some podcasters I know about. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, I'll read the initial message first that everybody has read. And then we will read the comments that he provided to us about this album. And he goes through song by song, and it's very interesting. So I think you'll like that. So back in 2006, he started with this. I listened to this CD for the first time in years. I put in the gym, and I was pleasantly surprised at how good it was. Each track has high value. Driving to Damascus should have been a single. Could have done with a more powerful mix. Lyrically, somebody else is superb, and all the other tracks rock and pull on the emotional strings. Great songs and playing a pleasant revisit. And then he added a comment the following day, which is more song-specific to your spirit to me. And I'll just read that, as that is part of the original thing he did. Forgot to mention my love for your spirit to me. Remember Stuart writing the lyric and him asking me what I thought. The track that is on the album is inspirational. How do I feel about listening to stuff now? Well, this is the first time since Stuart's passing that I have really wanted to listen to our music. What I intend to do is listen to one album a week and write a comment on here. And that's what it did. So unfortunately, that was kind of it for Driving to Damascus and for all the subsequent albums he wrote about. He, he really went quite a lot more into them. So I asked him if he would mind expanding on Driving to Damascus, and he did. So I think that's awesome. And um, that will really uh, conclude the album-related comments. So we'll, we're giving Tony the last word, the final word on Driving to Damascus. And uh, here we go. Driving to Damascus. I have expressed my thoughts on this track before, but I felt original that this would have made a quality single. I also believe it could have had a more radio-friendly mix. Dive Into Me. This track had so much going for it. Melody, drive, passion, and in my mind, a glimpse at the future in terms of writing and developing guitar-based gems. I remember being very excited about this tune in its embryonic state, and one of the reasons that kept me going during that period in Nashville. See my book for further info here. See you. I have a beautiful memory of the female string section that was brought in to complement this beautiful track. I thought Stuart's vocal on the song was so in tune with the sentiment, it totally worked for me. Perfect world. The memory I have of this was a quest to add something different to the BC sound. We had by this time a very strong musical identity, but there was always an ambition to move forward but not lose the essence of what we were about. This, I think, was Rafe McKenna's finest moment, introducing the loops and other noises. It added a contemporary drive to the track that made it very cool. Somebody else. Initially, as this song was written by Stuart and Ray Davis, I did not connect with it in its embryonic form. 
but as the band got to grips with the arrangements and made it feel like our song, I grew to like it and felt that it gave the album a further depth and originality to the album. Fragile Thing. There's a haunting vibe to the sound and chord structure that I find very chilling yet infectious. It is a beautiful song embellished fantastically by Eddie Reader. I personally love the fact that we use female vocals on certain tracks throughout the canon. And I was sure that this would be received well on Radio 2 here in the UK. It's about as country as I would go, though. The president slipped and fell. I loved this song as soon as we started working on it. It was loud, it was a thrash, it was wild, and the lyrics reflected that as well. Nothing subtle here. Devil in the Eye, the second track co-written by Stuart and Ray, and although I like it, it is not a tune I greatly relate to. Trouble the Waters, a dark subject, difficult to relate to, if not from or have a knowledge of American history. I love this track just because it says something and educates. The music, I feel, complements the lyrics rather than overpowering the context, which is right in my opinion. Bella, this has a very relaxed, Stones-esque rock feel, which gave us the opportunity to have this really loose feel to some aspects of the band. I always felt that Bruce shone in terms of guitar with these types of tracks and tempos. The lyric is, I think, Stewart is at his most relaxed. Your spirit to me. Awesome. Simply awesome. The depth of emotion in the song context, vocal delivery, and musical arrangement is something that I feel incredibly proud of. And I wish more people got to hear this song. Grace, I simply love this track. Again, pushing the boundaries of rhythm, ethnicity, and melody. It conjures up so many different ethnic flavors and images, from the east to the deep south of the U.S. This track does something to me that I really can't explain. I love it. Sorry, this was Rafe McKenna's finest piece of production. All right. There we have it. That was Tony. Great stuff. Yeah, very interesting. And my first thought upon reading these when I received these comments was that this is a whole lot more positive than I expected, given how he felt about going to Nashville and the general style that was knocking about at the time. But I think, uh, you know, they work through it. And I, I think we said this too initially, that once the band got through with it and it went through their filter, he got more into it. Yeah, and I also like how he, he talks about the band trying to do something new but still maintaining the essence of Big Country because I know that came up a lot in our discussions of these songs. Yeah. Sometimes I think they succeeded wildly, and other times maybe they didn't succeed quite as much, but it, they, they took chances, and that was to be uh, commended. I know one place where you disagree quite strongly with, Tony. He's actually saying that Grace was Rafe McKenna's finest piece of production, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm positive you said quite the opposite. Well, I, I don't know if I said quite the opposite completely because, but I, well, maybe I, maybe it turns out that way because I do think that song sounds great except for that damn solo part. So, I mean, if, if, if he would have got the solo right, I would have possibly <laughs> agreed with Tony because there are so many different sounds in that song. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, don't get me started back on that. Come on. Yeah, well, you did the rant this time. You know, <laughs> we, we have, we have to sort of uh, celebrate that a bit. I know, but I just finished it five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Wink, I'll wink. give you a pass. 
I'll give you a pass. <laughs> we'll try and pretend we record everything in one go. But uh, yeah, great comments, and, and thank you, Tony, for providing them. Yeah, thanks, Tony. And I agree. I wish more people had a chance to hear Your Spirit to Me as well as many, many other big country songs. Yeah. Hey, guys. Dwayne here from Tasmania, although I'm holidaying in the, um, northern New South Wales. At the moment, I've been enjoying your podcast while on my road trip, so thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure to catch up on some of the older ones that I've missed out on, but as far as driving to Damascus goes, um, when I got the singles, I bought both singles for Fragile Thing. I didn't particularly like Fragile Thing. I didn't like Eddie Reader's vocals. So she's a great vocalist, but I just didn't like the way I brought uh, forward. Like That's, that's the kind of... Um, vocal that Kate Bush should have had in the Seer um, because she was a much bigger name, much bigger star. That would have been the perfect uh, mix, um, so to speak. But, yeah, so I always preferred the album version of Fragile Thing and I never really liked the song for quite a while. Um, the song that stood out to me out of those first two singles was Loserville and I was so excited. That was exactly what I was looking for from Big Country. Um, I was playing it to everyone I could possibly um, get to listen to it. It was um, really exciting me. And then the album came. I got the limited edition album first with the with the two-second gap um, or the, that was uh, out. All the tracks were out by two seconds. So you couldn't um, – you could never rip the limited edition now, and I was always confused by those uh, Raphael's tracks at the end. Um, very confused. So they're great songs, but don't get me wrong, but um, I was also always confused about the direction Big Country was going in at that time. I wanted Loserville, and after hearing that Loserville was where I was supposed to be springing from, I've uh, become disappointed once again because that is what I wanted to hear. I was able to get... Um, driving to Damascus, um, some airtime on the ABC in Australia at the time. There was a DJ here who would um, present a a new release every week and he was really excited about driving to Damascus. He asked me to choose a song and the song that stood out to me from the album when I first listened to it was Trouble the Waters and I'm kicking myself now because I should have gone with the single choice Fragile Thing because in retrospect it was the much more radio-friendly song although I've still got nothing against Trouble of the Waters and I still love it. Very confused as to why people dislike that song. Um, and I like the storytelling direction of the lyrics that Stuart had gone into over those last few albums. Anyway, a bit of musing from, from me about driving to Damascus. Uh, I hope uh, it's not too late and uh, enjoy the podcast, guys. Catch you later. Before we leave the album completely, I do have a postscript to the Bella and NXS discussion. And uh, you're not aware of this, but I received a message today from Andy Inkster, or as someone calls him. Bogan. (laughs) (laughs) We all know Andy Inkster from Australia. He's a young and promising big country fan. One day he'll be worthy to to fly amongst the hardcores. Uh, but he had some interesting comments on this, and I'm going to read them out because it's it's actually both funny and a little interesting. So he said, 
the plot thickens with Big Country and In Excess and High Thievery. Both In Excess and Big Country were playing the same Japanese festival in 1984. In Excess had all the time they needed to listen slash watch slash steal the Wonderland riff. Meanwhile, over at Wikipedia, it tells us this about Baby Don't Cry. Baby Don't Cry is the second single from the 1992 album Welcome to Wherever You Are by In Excess. It was written by Andrew Ferris. Ferris has said it was written about his daughter, Grace, and how he missed his young child whilst touring. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the single was released only in the UK and Australia. And finally, in a double revenge deal, Stuart nicked Ferris's daughter's name too for a song. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. Isn't it though? <laughs> wow. That's good, awesome. Good subterfuge, Andy Inkster, you bogan. That's, yeah. that's some good research, man. That's good. And we have to give some credit to Floss, who did the Wikipedia search. So Andy has his own army of uh, sleuths. That is something else. I can't believe that. I, uh, that's unbelievable that the song originally, the, that the NXS song was about a guy comforting his daughter. I never would have thought that. Whose daughter's name is Grace, <laughs> who also was a song on this album. Oh, and, the, <laughs> the questions we could ask, I tell you. Oh, God. We could do a whole episode about conspiracy theories with uh, with Bella and, and Grace and uh, In Excess and Wonderland and everything. Mm, this is mm, this mm. is uh, quite interesting, but uh, I think this will do it. And uh, we'll close the book now on Bella for good, or not quite for good, but at least for the purpose of this episode. Yes, let's do it. And we're going to just about close the book on the album as a whole, Driving to Damascus. And But there is an appendix to this book. Much like the J.R.R. Tolkien books, there, there's more than just the, the story. Because this album has so many B-sides. We've talked about it. In fact, we've counted 24 B-sides, non-album tracks. I think we've got them all. It's possible that we might have missed something. I think some have been um, misrepresented as Driving to Damascus songs, and I think we caught those and did not include them. But a lot of people have asked us, can you talk a little bit about all the B-sides, too? So... We are going to do that just because you've asked us, even though we're completely – our tanks are completely on empty at this point um, on this long drive. We still have enough fumes left over where we can do this. So we we both have kind of shared our, idea, our ideas of how we're going to do this. Neither of us uh, decided that we were going to do any sort of deep dive on these songs, obviously. But we came up with what we think is going to be a good idea and a good fun way to sort of end the show. Um, and it's going to be like – an hour plus long epilogue as only we could do so <laughs> so it's fine you you came up with the final rules for this so why don't you explain how we're going to be doing this well like you said no deep dives uh, for one thing 24 songs no thank you <laughs> we don't want that and you don't want us to deep dive on 24 additional songs now we just did 12 and spent how many hours 13 14 so um since we plan to have some life outside of this podcast the next two years, we decided to go with a quicker one. And out of that came our old friend, the Egg Timer. Yes, the uh. Egg Timer is back. And uh, we're going to be discussing each of these 24 songs, but give ourselves a time limit and we could be caught by the egg timer. And we're going to be very strict. In the past, we did topics, and we said three minutes and did a joint discussion. 
this time to make sure that we both have enough time uh, for, for this discussion. We're slicing those three minutes and a half and we're getting 90 seconds each. So I've said it before, I, I admire those of you who did speak pipes because it's hard to come in with a comment about an album or a topic in three minutes, which is the length of the speak pipes. And we can waffle on for hours. That's actually much easier. So now we are forcing ourselves to be short and concise like you guys have been doing all along. So each song in turn, we get 90 seconds each. We'll take turns. But there are some songs in here that obviously I would like to say a little bit more about, and I'm sure Tom feels the same way. So thus, we came up with the concept of wild cards. We have three wild cards each. That gives us double speaking time. So uh, I know which songs <laughs> I'm going to use this for. For the rest, we have the 90 seconds hard limit, and I look forward to enforcing that quite brutally on Tom. And I'm sure he does the same on me. So we'll see how this works out. I think we have a song order kind of agreed on, and um, we kind of know how this is going to go. Yeah, I think we know. And and some of these songs, who knows, we may not even make it through a full 90 seconds, in which case we can bow out before the egg timer rings. It's horrible ring. Beat the bell. Yeah. <laughs> Beat I the hope egg. so. I think, uh, you know, 24 songs with with both of us. That That's 48 rings of the egg timer. <laughs> I know. I know. So so people be warned. You're going to hear that, that freaking alarm bell a lot uh, unless we manage to beat it. Get ready, you bastards. <laughs> yeah, here it comes. We'll see who can beat it the most. All right. You want to go first on Medicine Show? I can go first on Medicine Show. Do it. So uh, we'll start on that and let me know when you actually start it so I can uh, – I have to speak fast, don't I? Yes. All right. All right. You, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. There's a trailer park on the edge of the swamp. We're starting with a song that I actually have a lot of fascination for, and uh, that has a lot with how the song feels. Uh, the guitar line has an uneasy feel. The song has an uneasy melody. And uh, the guitar sound at the start is very interesting as well. So um, it was on In the Scud. It's an acoustic EP, and it's clearly an acoustic-based song. But I honestly think if they amped it up and slightly big countryfied it, this would have fit very well on Driving to Damascus. And the song is describing people in a bleak situation. They're stuck in this dingy trailer park, and we learn that they don't just have one, but two dead-end jobs to keep things going. And this is describing a desolate situation. People living in poverty, there's no way out. So to some degree, there's a lot of lost hope in this song. And there's something about the chorus that really gets to me, where he sings, throw away your dreams, my dear. The world we know has disappeared. Kiss the kids before they go. Send them off to join a traveling show. Send them off to the old-time medicine show. In my head... That place is the song perhaps during the Great Depression, when times were super hard and especially the traveling shows were a real thing. And what gets me is the notion of sending off your kids so that they might have a chance. I mean, as a parent, that's the ultimate desperation, sending off your kids to join a medicine show. That's that's wow. I just the thought of that. And as the story of what happens to these people, it's fascinating and desperate. So this song is a snapshot. It's not a happy snapshot, but it feels very real. And it always managed to leave an impact, both the lyrics and the tone of the music as well. So I hold this song in high regard. Did I really beat the timer? <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. Were you watching? 
watching. No, but I was done speaking and it hadn't gone off yet. <laughs> that was good timing then. Excellent timing. <laughs> yeah. Medicine Show. I like this song better when it was called You Dreamer. Um, this song always really reminded me of You Dreamer. I do like this quite a bit. I, I like this song. I, it, the version here is clearly very, very early demo-esque version. It's got the drum machine going. I don't even know how much the other band members played on it. I, I think I've said this before on the show, but when In the Scud came out, I, I was really into this song more than maybe some of the others. And when I had the chance to meet Stuart in Nashville, I remember asking asking him specifically about this song. I asked him if it was going to be on the album, and he said no because the other guys didn't like it. So apparently it wasn't a big hit around the band. But um, but yeah, medicine shows were also part of the Old West here in America. They were They were shows where people would go and they would sell snake oil and they would sell fake elixirs that were supposed to be be able to heal all kinds of ails. And uh, they also had crazy, you know, things like dancing women and bearded women and flea circuses and those types of things. So yeah, that, that's been around for a while here, but uh, yeah, it's a good song. I, I think, I think the chorus is maybe a little weak on the song uh, in the song in some ways, but I do like the whole idea of a medicine show being the focus of the song. And um, it's very big country, very Stuart. So uh, yeah, good tune. I would have, I would have also liked to have heard the full band version of this. Mm. Wow. How much time did I have left over? <laughs> you made it. About the same. Cool. About the same. Nice. All right. All right, Cimarron. I really love this song. It's got um kind of a Van Morrison type of feel to it. I don't know. Maybe something with the way those guitars are played. Got kind of a, it just reminds me of Van Morrison. I'm not sure exactly why, but I, I like the title. I've often said that I'm I'm really influenced by a song's title before I actually hear it. So when I saw the the title Cimarron, I wasn't sure if it was a name of a person, but um, it turns out that it is. And I thought, what a cool title! And this is a really cool song about Stewart just meeting some some girl that he kind of falls for, but it's just a it's just a one night type of meeting but it's not a one night stand it's not a sexual thing it's, it's at least i don't think so but it, it's he has this meeting with this girl who's a who's this wild type of free spirit and they end up uh driving out into the night and talking about life and and she stays with him and i i just like that i like that idea for a song and i think um it's very much a night song it's it's very very much a nighttime song where you feel like uh, it would be a great song to drive to at night um, I also really love the coda of this song where the guitars really kick in and the drums really kick in and they're playing really more old school, big country. And it's just got an awesome outro. So this song, I think, would have been great to, to put on Driving to Damascus. It's it's not too heavy. It's not too dark. It's got a very dreamlike, ethereal feel to it, both musically and lyrically. And uh, it, it's, a cool, it's a cool subject. Just like, yeah. Just like that. Damn it. <laughs> I think you were wrapping up. So that was well-timed, really. You people were deprived of 10 more seconds of brilliance. But you got the satisfaction of uh, your damn it's intense and emotional, just like the song. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So here's Fine's take on Cimarron. Here we go. Ready? Yeah, it's not going to be a vastly different take. Uh, I like this song a lot, too, uh, about the girl called Cimarron. And I wondered for a while what that 
title was referring to before I made out the words and read it somewhere or something. So he met her, and this really um, is a story about that encounter. She told her story. She was leaving town to go back to the mountains. They go on this night drive, spend some time together, and in the morning she was gone. It's kind of, on one hand, the typical rock song where in the morning she was gone or he was gone but it's more than that this is the ultimate romantic fantasy like was she real or was she a dream and there is that sort of spiritual aspect of the song that it was not just a it was very much a spiritual meeting and as we see the memory of this girl is strong enough that he sometimes still drive up there at night wondering if he can catch sight of her or see her again so yeah. it, it ends up being a very nice romantic nostalgic song about an encounter that made a big impression on him so in, in some ways she's kind of the one that got away in another way she was kind of almost not of this world like this wild free spirit that had to go back to the spiritual realm it's really that that has that sense about it like she wasn't really real she was just someone passing through so that is Cimarron. I think uh, the lyrics are very, very nice, make me smile. The music is kind of okay. It's uh, kind of, uh, yeah. Very good, very good. You almost got that in. Pretty much. It's a mighty fine line between true love Desperation. Without Wings is a sweet song about finding someone who gives the singer strength and, quote-unquote, a place to call home. So it's yet another one of those nice songs about someone who has a positive influence. And the song also describes that fine line between what is true and good versus what might be more fleeting or, or negative. So as an example, it mentions the difference between walking out versus walking away a place to live versus a place to stay, being and being together and so on. And the chorus seemed to show that someone has shown him that difference between these two sides. And basically it goes, without wings, you have taught me how to fly. Very nice sentiment. The music, very much clearly coming from the sitting down with an acoustic guitar and playing the song face of his early Nashville days. So uh, uh, not really a big country song to me. This This is... Stewart solo project as far as that. Perhaps it's not even Raphael's because that even got more ambition. This is very much strum the guitar and sing the song. Very nice melody, but that's that's really what it is. Uh, I remember liking this song a lot more when In the Scud first came out. These days, I kind of almost think it's the weakest on, on In the Scud. But I remember this uh, school teacher from Japan who was a member of the mailing list back in the 90s. And he had his class vote on the songs from In the Scud to find out which one they thought was best or had the biggest hit potential. And he said that Without Wings won by a landslide in that class. And I just thought, oh, really? Oh, that's great. Back then, I wasn't so horrified with the choice. But this, at this point, I, I say this is the skipper for me on this particular EP. But that was <laughs> the story I remembered, so I had to get that in. Nice, nice. All right, so this song for me, um, I, I don't like this song very much. I gotta, I gotta admit, I think it's got some good lines in it, especially in the verses. Actually, some some great lines in the verses. I think uh, one of my favorites is "There's a mountain you must climb between the before talking and the conversation." And there's other stuff in there, like there's a the difference between walking out and walking away. Um, really, really cool lines in the verses, and it's but the song itself, it, it's too, it's 
I think Tony said in, in one of his comments um, on one of the songs we were talking about earlier uh, from Driving to Damascus, he's, I guess it was Fragile Thing. He said, this is as bad as country as I would want to go. Well, this one for me crosses the line. It's a little too country. And that chorus to me always sounded like uh, like a, a church youth group song I, from the structure of it to the lyrics. I mean, to me, the whole you've taught me how to fly without wings is one of the most cliched lines that I that I've heard you know that you hear in music I mean there's so many songs about flying without wings and I'm you've taught me to do this without wings and everything else so when as soon as I heard that I thought oh this is really cliched for Stewart I'm surprised that he would write that um but I can't I can't deny that it's it's something that the public at large would would be interested in and and would find some uh, appeal in because it's it's got that kind of you know feeling that you you've heard it before and it's it's something that people like that sentiment um but i don't i I think it's weak nice Stuart guitar solo though yeah so far we're not uh, very misaligned in our opinions no This is just a great little song. I love this song. I've loved it from the very first moment I heard it. And it's it's a it's a concise Stewart song, which is great. It's it's a nice little um just a nice little tune. And and the thing that that kicks it off really is is that guitar riff that kicks in, I guess uh well, that's it's not what kicks the song off, but that lead guitar riff. I, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about is so big country. And even even the opening guitar chords that are strummed are so big country, and yet it also does have a country flavor to it. So again, I think we come back to a song that has that country flavor to it, but is still full of classic big country moments and and styles. And I love it. Um, the lyrics are are also really kind of funny and interesting. I mean, it's a it's basically about Stewart trying to get home somewhere, and because of weather, he's stuck in Birmingham at a strip club, at a stripper bar or whatever, um, stuck here with a girl like you. And the reason we know it's a, it's a strip club is that he talks about the ladies treat you kindly when you're full of dollar bills. So he, he's, he somehow ended up in this strip club while he's waiting for the weather to clear so that he can get home. And um, I just think that's a great, just a great thing to write a song about. It's, it's so unexpected and interesting. And um, and he, and he thanks the woman for the time that he had with her, and, and he's almost got some kind of little relationship with this <laughs> with this woman that he meets, almost like Cimarron, but a, a much different scenario. So I love this tune. It's uh, I love the guitar playing, and it's, it's one of my favorites from that unreleased batch of songs. Nice, yeah, Birmingham. This is this is instantly melodic and catchy. And like yourself, I've always liked this song a lot. The song is great. And like you say, the thing that really sells it to you, as if the song isn't good enough, that's the guitar solo. That guitar solo is the shining star of an already great song. And it's such a nice one, too. I mean, so a song about being stuck somewhere because of bad weather. But the way he writes it, and I'm going to spend some hard-earned time reading the first verse. Rain Man makes his pretty patterns up and down the street. I ask about his timing, but he doesn't like to speak. What a way to describe the rain and being sad about it. It's kind of, damn you, rain. But no, it's it's beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. And as the song goes on, because he is stuck, he seeks a place to pass his time. And we, 
we, we learn about his place of entertainment he goes to. And uh, what makes me feel a little bit better about the line stuck here with a girl like you, uh, which is clearly just as backhanded as the line in Fragile Thing, where he says, then I might still be with her instead of here with you. This is not a girl he has any kind of history with. It's it's an entertainment girl of this fine Alabamian establishment. So he ends up sitting there with his dollar bills, and it wasn't a company he was planning to keep, and that's what he's basically saying in the song too. So one of the strongest melodies of this entire drive to Damascus era, incredibly strong melody, an acoustic song at the the bass with an electric solo over it. I don't know if they would have uh, what they would have turned it into if they had gone all electric. So that that remains something I would have loved to hear a full electric version of Birmingham. Yeah, me too. That would have been fantastic. I'm very curious if it could have ended up sounding similar, though. Yeah, I, th- I think it would have had a lot of similarities, but who knows? A lot of yeah, but it's so uh, part of it is really just the acoustic bedding that makes it seem such a. Nice, almost naked, super catchy, strong. But yeah, we're going over time. It's yes. just this. This remains a favorite for both of us. I can tell. It is definitely. Yeah. All right, and then we now we get to living by memory, and Spine's going to start this one off. And uh, and I will use a wild card on this one. Okay, I figured as much. I know uh, your your love of this song is known. It is legendary. It is. Living by Memory is a huge song to me. Out of out of all the B sides we will talk about here, this is my pick. This is one of the most atmospheric songs the band's ever did, in my opinion. And as it happens, we're talking about the very dark atmosphere. But that does not detract from it for me. I think this song is simply masterful in painting a very specific feeling and bottling it. And it does it so well. This is a genuine highlight for me. And uh, looking at what it's about, it's kind of obvious. The person in the song has lost someone who died in a traffic accident and suddenly he's by himself. Nobody waits for him at home. He works the graveyard shift. He doesn't see a lot of people. Has nothing but the past to live for. And uh, he goes through life on mindless routine. And that's really all the song is. And as the bridge says, the piece that waits for him is uh, at heaven's door. He feels there's no joy left in life. There's nothing. He feels nothing. His life is over. And yet, the, the interesting thing to me, we're catching this guy not in the middle of grief. We're catching him in the middle of shell-shocking numbness. And his mind has just gone blank from what has happened. There's an empty acceptance. He knows what has happened. We know what it has done to him. And he's, he's kind of done with his shock, denial, anger. And normally, when you reach acceptance, you're able to go on. And this guy might be able to go on eventually, but at least for the moment that this song catches him, he's not able to move past it at all. And he's really stuck. And uh, that's one part of it. But what makes the song work so well is the music. I think the music to this song is a masterpiece in evocative playing and arrangement. And talk about nailing it. I think what this band does best when they really manage to nail it is what they do here. And considering they're basically providing the soundtrack to a song about being stuck in almost emotionless state, they sure add a lot of emotion to the music. And it's the mixture of pure melancholy and sadness on one side, but also the 
simple beauty in the music. And then this desperate guy caught in the middle. It's so touching to me. Uh, it really does something to me every time I hear this song. So despite how bleak it is, I think they never went bleaker, really, in some ways. This is a huge, huge song for me. It's my favorite non-album track from the entire Drive to Damascus era. It's such a stellar song. And I know it's not an anthemic rock epic. I know it would probably kill the mood at the shows. I know that fans would probably angrily call out for Look Away instead if they played it. I don't care. I love this song. So I think uh, that sums it up. I'm pretty close to the limit, am I not? You had 10 seconds to spare. Yeah, so let's just be quiet for 10 seconds and think of this song. <laughs> now let's move on. All right. <laughs> just go. Yeah, I love this song too. It's a great song. I, it's not my favorite of this period, but um, it, it's up there. I'd say it's definitely up there. It reminds me of a Bruce Springsteen type of, of song. If, if you're familiar with the type of things that he was writing or, or that he has written over the years, when he goes into his more acoustic, quiet phase, it's like that. And I know Stewart was a fan of his. And, you know, he sings about wrecks on the highways and people who are living lonely existences and loss and that type of thing too so i wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of an influence um it's it always sounded to me like the person in the song could be in some ways the person in fragile thing i mean i know the, the situation is different and that there's been a a wreck where he's lost the person that he's loved and the other fragile thing seems to be he's just lost the love they've broken up but it's got a similar feeling, and I, I often wondered if that wasn't one of the reasons why this was left off the album versus Fragile Thing, because I do think that there are a lot of similarities in the in the lyrics and in the the overall theme of the two songs. But um, I, I love this song. I love the ring, ringing guitars that go through it. It does have a, a country feel to it again, but it's still, it's not really country, but it's got that flavor, but it's still very big country. Chorus is incredibly catchy while being incredibly sad, which is you know a Stewart staple. Um, it's just it's just a great song all around, and and I agree, it is great production on this song. I don't know who produced it. I don't know if it was just produced by the band because I don't think it ever got the Rafe McKenna treatment. But um, probably better off maybe for this one for not getting that. Mm. Yeah. So now, Don't You Stay. I always loved the opening to this song. It's, it's got this really beautiful acoustic guitar opening. And this song and a number of others that we'll talk about, I, I always thought that they were probably going to be on that Stuart solo album that we never got. Because they all have a similar feel to them, the, the ones that I'll group into this category. Um, they're all acoustic-driven, and... They they just all have that feeling of, of the songs that he would have been writing early on in his time in Nashville before Big Country decided they were going to do an album and they got together to do the Driving to Damascus stuff. 
But this is an interesting song. It's 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 kind of falls flat to me overall. It's a song about a woman who's in a bad marriage, and Stewart's kind of uh, talking to her about that and and encouraging her not to stay in the relationship. We get a lot of these types of songs during this period where Stewart is almost like the the hero swooping in to save the day for some woman who's having a bad relationship. We get we'll get more of them later. I I find that interesting. Um, it's not a bad song by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's just one that, that sort of falls flat for me, maybe because it's so acoustic-driven. Um, th- this is clearly a song that's about writing and telling a story more than it is creating any sort of feel with the with the music beyond just kind of like a haunting type of sound that it wants to put across. But I almost get the feeling that this song and some others here were almost like writing exercises for Stuart. Not that he wasn't taking it seriously, but that he was he was – trying to get a feel for what he wanted to write about and how he wanted to write while he was in Nashville. So this I would put in that category. Mm. Right. Yeah, just like you said, this is a very acoustic song with a lot of strumming. And that that word will sort of summarize how I feel about this uh, song, strumming. Uh, and again, this is another Stuart is sitting down with an acoustic guitar and writing a song scenario. Uh, songwriting sort of as developing that side of his art. I struggle to imagine the song as a riff-based electric country version. I'm not sure it would have fitted. So very much, again, falling into the solo thing that, that we expected and that never came. But kind of, if you put all this song together, we kind of have it anyway. There is a tiny electric lead guitar line in the intro and choruses, and it sounds like a pedal steel guitar. And I'm not really a huge fan of pedal steel guitar, but it tells something about this song that when that comes... It's almost like it brings the song somewhere else than that endless strumming. So it becomes great. And I don't often say that about pedal steel. So the song needs something. And the real issue with it, I think, it's too long. It's nearly five minutes. And for a song to go on that long, there needs to be enough in it to keep up interest. But it's mm. just endless strumming of acoustic guitar. And at one point during the song, it starts grinding because nothing else happens. And when we come to the end of the song, I always feel I'm done with it. I'm kind of tired of the sound of it they've been strumming through the song i'm all strummed out <laughs> so it's, it's not a bad song but there's a very intense sameness to the musical expression and it starts a certain way and it stays that way throughout so this is not a song that takes us on a musical journey really it, it knows what it wants to be and it sticks with it yeah definitely i can see why this was not on the album definitely oh yeah oh yeah you know think about the the two previous songs on bon appetit were birmingham and living by memory which mm. is in a different division, both of those. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right. And uh, we're talking of Bon Appetit. That takes us to the last one on that EP. That's Sun and My Shadow. You got some love Telling me what's ragged. I've got the urge Set you straight to naggy. You a TV mystic Do you have a second saggy? Yeah, just like the previous one, this is another song that is basically acoustic, but this time I like the arrangements a lot better. This is an acoustic song almost in a rock format. It has distinct musical parts being played, and it's not just strumming. So this is a lot more interesting. And it also has a very strong electric lead guitar, some solo lines here and there. So it's still not a giant song for me, but it's definitely more on my good side. And uh, the lyrics are kind of a little interesting here. This is what you could describe as almost describing a lover's tiff. There's an argument unfolding here. Uh, And you have lines like, 
you got some nerve telling me what's right. I got the urge to set you straight tonight. That's, <laughs> I almost take it humorous. It's so uh, unlike Stuart, and especially uh, um, because it could be nasty. But as we learned from the chorus, he almost seemed to be the most nervous person. He says, between hell and high water, she comes looking for me. I got a bad, bad feeling. But what the hell? As long as I stay between the sun and the shadow, I guess I'm doing well. As in, as long as he's alive, he's doing well. And as long as she doesn't end him, or as long as he makes it through, he'll be fine. And there are some other funny lines, like, so what? I'm a little drunk. What's it to you? I ain't no kind of monk. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you could get into that whole Stuart situation, as, again, with, with alcohol and stuff. But that aside, and please, let's leave it aside now and then. These are funny lines. And I think he went for that effect. And I think he wrote them with a smile. So I choose to also listen to them with one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's a lot of humor in this song. Um, dark humor. But uh, yeah, I, I really like this song. I've really grown to like it. And it is it is kind of in the same mold as Don't You Stay. And then it's this more there is electric. There are electric elements to it, but it's more of an acoustic type of sound in a lot of ways. But um, I, I just like it. I don't know. I, I, I like the chorus. I like the, the verses and the lines in the verses and that that so what so i'm a little drunk line it's it's also in the way he says it i love how he says that in the beginning he's like so what (laughs) he just kind of and you don't get that from Stuart much either it almost sounds like he is trying to trying to sound like he's a little drunk when he sings that line um because it it reminds you of what a drunk would say so what you know so i'm drunk and i I like that (laughs) you don't you don't get that from him very often and there's a little anger there too you know well there's more than maybe a little bit but i and i i wonder you you got to wonder if if some of these lines came from actual real life fights that he had with the, his significant other, um, but it's got some great lines in it beyond that too. I mean, one of my favorite lines in there is "worn out trying to listen for the things she doesn't say," and uh, that takes me back to other songs he's written, like uh, Seven Waves" and other songs about relationships where he's looking for something and he's not getting what he wants. And I think that line in particular just worn out trying to listen for the things she doesn't say boy what a great line that is um also if you listen in headphones which i did today you hear really really nice backups from tony and so it's nice to hear him singing on these songs even though we know he didn't necessarily love them all (laughs) but uh yeah so it's a it's a good song i like it oh there we have it all right dust on the road All right, now this one, I will request my first wild card. Had a feeling. Little girl race on the Saturn sun Kicking up dirt from here to All right, Dust on the Road. This song, to me, is just incredible. I, I, this is by, well, I won't say by far because there, there is another that's close, but this is my favorite track of all of these songs. Um, I, I don't know if it's, if there, there might be some songs on the album that I prefer, but th- I just think this is an incredible song. From, from the music to the lyrics, uh, it's a song about domestic abuse and domestic violence, which is really, really interesting. Uh, something that it's been written about before, but I don't think quite written about, at least not that I've heard in, in this, in this way, but music first, 
this has got some of the most haunting. I mean, we talk a lot about these, this something's coming type of song or this song that, that portends doom coming. And this song is one of those. Definitely. It's got these just really haunting and heavy guitars that, that come through. And it's also got like these, I don't know what it is, but it's it's some sort of keyboard sound. Maybe it's either keyboard or it's, some sort of guitar volume effect where he's raising the volume up, but it, it just gives this great haunting feel. Um, it, it's got some some can you feel the winter vibe to it as well. It, it's always had a little bit of that vibe to me. Yeah, but it's it's just with the with the muted picking of the guitars and how it slowly builds. But again, we've got these lyrics about uh, people whose lives have you know gone to hell, which seems to be like a, a common motif that Stuart writes about. Um, especially during Why the Long Face uh, forward, and even before that, sh- certainly, but even more so after, I think. Um, we've got a we've got this woman who was Miss Mississippi back in '84, but now nothing's going well for her. Nothing is nothing is going as she wanted it to. Her life is is not the way it should be, and you you get the feeling from these lyrics that she's involved in an abusive relationship. The woman who was Miss Mississippi, but now the stepdad's got a belly full of cheap red wine mama knows daddy's not the marrying kind and it and the song really centers around a little girl because it's talking about um th- this little girl in the very beginning she's racing the setting sun to get home because she knows if she doesn't get home she's going to get beaten by her father or her, her new her brand new daddy so it's not her real father it's her stepfather um and then the song eventually leads to what I think are just incredible lyrics to paint this picture red and blue lights on a bedroom wall grown man's voices down the hall I mean man I just love that because you get the sense of the police have come there's been some sort of incident the police are here and by the bed a little girl prays oh. <laughs> Do you want to you can use a second wild card get more nine, 90 more seconds Yeah let me do it let me let me use a second wild card So the the Lord moves in mysterious ways. That part of the song to me is where the chills just come on full bore. Um, not only do I think those are great lyrics, but when he says the Lord moves in mysterious ways, things slowly start to really build. Well, not slowly. They, they pretty quickly start to really build. The drums kick in. The song goes up a notch musically. And then we get Mama walks in saying it's all right now. Just love that. The, the mother comes in, takes the girl. They get in the car. Their beat up Oldsmobile, and they take off, and uh, they leave the guy behind. And so you've got this great chorus too: that the dust on the road catches your eye, flies from the wheels of other lives, black shiny cars like the years roll by, leave you behind, dust on the road. So just just fabulous poetic lyrics, just just describing lives that have not gone as they should. Um, but in this case, we get at least a little bit of promise that maybe this young girl will get another chance at something good happening in her life. The mother has taken her away from the situation. But I just love this song. I love the music. I love the lyrics. I love everything about it. I wish it had been given like a full um, production treatment and and somehow made it to the album because I think this song would have fit really well on the album. There's, there, there's no other song lyrically that's like this one. And uh, it would have been a welcome, you know, rock and roll type of old more old school big country intensity that maybe the album could have used so i just think this is a fantastic song yeah birdie of two wild cards yes 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, 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 just outside of both of our individual discussions, um, didn't it get the full rave treatment as a B side? Didn't he produce this one? If he did, he certainly could have. I don't remember seeing his name on there, but um, I just assumed that it was one of the one of the demos that he did not fully produce. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, because uh, Loserville as well, and both of these songs were on the Folds Fiasco CD. So I packed that away. I can't stand to have that sitting in my shelf with invisible sight. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't, ha- I haven't looked up the production credits, but I, I just would have assumed. Well, I, I know he did Loserville. He, he, he did do Loserville, but I don't know if he did this song. I, I get the feeling that this song is kind of like Living by Memory, where it was recorded very well, but it didn't quite make the final album sessions. Okay. Yeah, I'm just asking because I don't know. But I, I just would have assumed because it's, it's on the single, and especially if the other B-side on that single was produced fully. Um, but, you know, they, they pick him from all over the place, so who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out. You can you can look it up while I speak, and uh, and after your brilliant coverage, I don't think I need to use any wild cards on this. Okay. Well, I'll give you the ninety seconds then. Give me the ninety seconds. Here we go. Anytime. Okay. So yeah, this is one of the best B sides from this era, and uh, it's one of several songs that Stuart wrote about people stuck in dead end situations, going almost as far back as East of Eden, and much more recently we mentioned Medicine Show and some others. Uh, now, in this song, there is a way out, and uh, the mother and the daughter leaves, as, as Tom told us. But uh, uh, this song covers all the basics. And You have a little girl afraid of being spanked if she don't do what she's told. You had a mom who works her ass off to keep things in place. You have the drunk, mistreating dad. And you could almost say that this song has all the stereotypes in place. Uh, you could also argue that there is a reason why certain things become a stereotype. Uh, the fascinating thing to me about this song is there's a glimmer of better days in the past. And um, with the wife being a former Miss Mississippi and bright future for, for this family when it was young. And that is all gone now. And that is a typical theme to the songs. I wish uh, perhaps more often we would see songs where things were crappy and you got the Disney ending. But that's not just Stuart. You know, he would never do that. And perhaps that's why we like him. Uh, but the dust on the road is many things. Uh, in an early chorus, you see the dust from other cars driving by that the girl sees, usually shiny cars who drive off to better things. And at the end, they're part of it, and all that's left of them is the dust on the road. So it's a very nice contrast and nice sort of reference to itself in the song that I like. Nice. So last sentence, uh, it's a song, I think the music is the superb bit. I think that um, that is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And And... I haven't fully clarified uh, who produced it, but I did find this on John's site, which is very interesting. Um, he, There's a quote from Stewart here about this song, which I never knew existed. He says, I wrote it with a friend of mine here in Nashville, Christy Siemens. I played it to the guys, and they loved it, so we, so we rattled off a version. So I get the feeling from when he says, so we rattled off a version, that that probably – does seem to suggest that it was not given the full production treatment, unless there's unless there's another earlier version of it rolling around. But it seems like probably they uh, they just recorded it, you know, at some Nashville studio, like they did a lot of these earlier songs. Because I don't I don't feel I don't hear it sounding the same as no, the stuff that okay. kind of touched. So yeah. Now uh, I don't doubt that for one second, and that's probably true. But uh, on the other hand, both you and I know how it sounds when they rattle off a version. This definitely is, they took more care than that. Uh, but probably they just did it on their own. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going with. All right. Loser will.
had the luxury of speaking about this a little bit in episode 70 so uh, we've covered that this was always a great song going back to uh, the fantastic live version from the lemon tree um, i think the biggest issue of the song was that it always had to live up to that live version and uh, it didn't um, it's a great song nonetheless it's a fantastic song even but uh, there is something awkward about how it's recorded the intro is different different emphasis to the live version that sounds a little off to me and that keyboard that comes in towards the end always always grates me that that's uh, that's my hammond moment and i know that's not a hammond keyboard but that's how i could imagine it that you would react <laughs> to hammond but but that is the that that's the bad stuff done there uh the good stuff tons of it still it is a fantastic song uh the lyrical theme I'm, i know Tom will speak more to this touches on his love of all things Native American. Another situation without hope. And um, the, the styrofoam buffalo is kind of the symbol of everything. The buffalo used to roam the prairie and be free, and now it's in styrofoam, and you have the reservations that uh, the, with the casinos and, uh, and the alcohol. So it's, um, this was the song that gave me hope that there would be an epic on the album. And uh, in the end, the song didn't even make the album. That always kind of scratched me, but that was the direction they went in or didn't go in. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, for this one, I will, as you might expect, use my final wild card. I fully expected that. All right. So, yeah, Loserville, I I love this song. This would be my – this would be the the song that comes closest to, to Dust in the Road. Um, or Dust on the Road as being my favorite from this period uh, of the unreleased or the the non-album songs. And this this is actually maybe, you know, this would have been way up there too with any of the songs that made it to the album. I do think it has some problems, mainly, well, when I say it has some problems, I'm mainly talking about this Rafe McKenna version, the final version that we get, because the, the song, as they played it live, as Fine just alluded to, it really was an epic, and we really got the sense that we were going to get that epic song to come back. And, and this is a song where I didn't care if it was seven minutes long. I thought it was great as, as they played it live. It built. It had a, a momentum to it. And when they, when they finally did the Rafe McKenna treatment of it, they cut so many verses out, and they cut it up so much. And I understand why they did it, and in some ways they did make it a little more concise, but if you knew what was there before, it was it was hard to come to grips with. Maybe I'd be interested to hear what people thought who never heard the song until they heard the the song the version that came on the Fragile Things single, you know, how they felt about it. Um but this is definitely big country at their heaviest. I mean this is this is almost like heavy metal heavy with those guitars. I've never heard them sound have guitars that sound like this. If there's one criticism I'd have of the song though, it would be that I think it needs more than just big, heavy walls of guitar chords. I think it needs some some soloing. I think it needs some uh, more light and shade type of big country guitar stuff going on. 
to to fill out some of that big heavy sound but it's still it's the drums the bass everything is is incredible and lyrically i absolutely love what stewart does in this song lyrically it's genius he he's he's taking things about native american culture that used to be something that they could take pride in and he's using them but he's also showing them now in a different light where there's no pride to be taken so we get the plane where the styrofoam roams as you said it used to be the plane where the buffalo roams that's that's an old song um, the gathering of the mobile phones. You get the sense there that it would be like the gathering of tribal leaders. Now it's the gathering of the mobile phones. The tourists come into these places. Um, I love the line, they're looking for scalps downtown. Um, they're looking for scalps. They're, it, it get the, you get the sense that, that these guys are looking for maybe prostitutes at this point, where in the old days, the, the proud warriors were literally literally looking for scalps. Um, there's another line in there about the cousin saying all day he's been out he's been out hunting. Well, Native Americans were known for their hunting, obviously, and but here he's not hunting game to feed his family. He's hunting drugs, and they're going to do the thing with the pipe instead of the peace pipe, which was something that Native Americans used to use. They would smoke a peace pipe to welcome their strangers into their midst or to or to to make peace among each other here they're going to do the thing with the pipe but it's not it's not a peace pipe it's drugs and then we got a guy who got lost in the firewater fight so firewater being alcohol so yeah i think stewart does a fantastic job in these lyrics and just painting this bleak picture it's it's genius lyric writing and yeah i I wish they could have just done it as the full epic it should have been i would have loved to have heard it everything you said after that beep has to be edited out (laughs) (laughs) that was good i mean you're you're clearly hitting your stride you're getting into a deep dive mode yeah i know i know and this song deserves it of course no it's interesting because uh i remember when we um did the the initial b-side discussion amongst ourselves you you highlighted uh, dust on the road as as your favorite from this time Mm. but then when when you did the uh the outtakes poll you voted loserville so clearly these are very close songs and maybe they even switch out a bit for you <laughs> they must be that's interesting to hear that's interesting you don't remember that huh i don't i don't it's, but it's funny like when we prepared for this album or when i prepared for this album i'd listen to dust in the road and these other ones for the first time in a long time and i just remember being struck by dust on the road again and how great it was so maybe that you know maybe made it rise up again rise rice uh, right there you <laughs> you're influencing me white rice again it's time for <laughs> yeah, it's it's daunting doing this with this threat of the egg timer behind us. It puts uh, pressure on. But I, but I like it. It's good. And you used all your wild cards. I I have two. Yeah, my, I'm I'm all out, man. I spent my paycheck. <laughs> First time I got it. Now I'm sh- going to be short money for the whole week. And so far, both of us have been very predictable in our wild card picks. But I'm sure you you have no idea where I'm going with the last ones. I would have liked to have used one more for another one, but I, I'll deal with it. It's fine. Yeah, we're all dealing with it. Okay, then. Camp Smedley. Camp Smedley. Uh, maybe maybe Spine can remind me of Camp Smedley. I know this was like a character that Bruce came up with and that he would often talk about, like some campy guy that he made up. I can't remember the context of it, though. 
I'll do the quote in my in my piece. Okay, good, good. So when we got the Camp Smedley theme, I know I know that that meant something to a lot of the hardcore fans because we always heard of this Camp Smedley person. Um, th- this is a cool song. I mean, it has nothing to do with big country. So throw that out the window right away. It, it sounds like a James Bond theme, and but it's a, it's good. You know, it sounds like a good a good spy show theme, and there's a lot of really good playing on this. Um, it's got all kinds of stuff in it. It's got banjo. It's got hard edge guitars. It's got um, keyboards. It's got clean guitars. I mean, it, it's really a, a cool little bit of of instrumental songwriting. Um, so yeah, I really like it. And and when. Uh, when Bruce talks about his Camp Smedley, you know, this, this is the song that uh, that's always going to pop up in my head, obviously, since this is his theme song. But um, it's got a lot of interesting changes in it, too. And there's one especially that I like where it goes from being this spy type of theme song and then it, it goes into this major key and it almost has a sweet quality to it. And uh, so I think this is this is cool. It's a cool little Bruce uh, song. And um, obviously, it's going to be a B-side. Like I said, it has nothing to do with, really with big country music. But uh, from a creativity standpoint, it, it's cool. I like it. So I'll yield the rest of my time just fine. You can remind me of what Kent Smedley was. Okay, I have, I have no more time. So there you go. I'll take all the, that time and, uh, <laughs> and spend it wisely. The title mentions uh, theme. And man, this really does sound like the theme for a TV show or something. It's uh, it's like you said, it's totally fun and <laughs> clearly not big country, but it's uh, it's it's well done. I like it. I can't explain why, but I think the the good thing about this song existing is that now we don't need to think of eggplant when we think of what Mark has contributed musically, because guess who's behind this song. And uh, I'll uh, give a quote from Bruce. He made this on the Through a Big Country Facebook group on the 9th of August, 2017. And he said, Camp Smedley's theme was another one of Mark's musical ideas, like Eggplant. The name Camp Smedley comes from two sources. Camp Freddy was Michael Caine's sidekick in The Italian Job. And Smedley was the name of Tommy Lee Jones' butler in the JFK movie. It's basically just a fun track that became a B-side. Oh, wow. So that's it. The, the track background is clear. And I have to say, I really like it as a piece of music. It's well played throughout. Interesting things added all the time as you go along. This is one song that doesn't stick to the strumming or anything like that. No. At the end, at the end especially, the dual guitar lines that come in during that last minute, go check those out. They are cool. <laughs> and uh, the music really can be described just like Earth is described in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mostly harmless. And uh, Bruce called it a fun track, and I think that's a very fitting description. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. I had no idea that Mark wrote that. At least I, if I did, I don't remember it. He deserves to be remembered for something other than eggplant. And from <laughs> now on, from now on, I will think of Camp Smedley's theme. Very good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up. I Get Hurt is musically a straight rocker, and um, there's not much more to say about that. And for a long time, that's kind of how I left this song. A straight rocker, musically okay, doesn't mean that much to me. But lyrically, you, you know, I never really looked at it for years and years. I kind of put it in the same category as the music. But earlier this year, actually this summer, 
I sat down really for the first time to look at them and wow, you know, this is the guy from Fragile Thing. This song is the unsentimental version of Fragile Thing. And I'll read some of the lyrics. Fade to black and the movie ends. Another night I didn't spend with you girl, oh you girl. The diner's dead, my coffee's gone. I stumbled streets I sailed upon with you girl, oh you girl. This is the guy. He went to see a movie. He went to a diner. Yeah. The diner closes. He goes out in the streets. It's yep. the guy from Fragile Thing. <laughs> and it's it, that, that that just blew my mind. Yep. And no no way is this uh, coincidental. This is uh, very much on purpose. And uh, also it has some other lines. Uh, I, he goes through at the end of each verse. In turn, there's uh, you don't need a farmer to dig dirt. And later you don't need a horse to lose your shirt. And you don't need the sun to end up burnt. I get hurt. I mean, if this song had been a normal deep dive, it would have been very interesting to go a bit deeper into this person and see how it fits with other persons, not just a fragile thing, but somebody else or something. I feel like there's various things hidden in this song. So that was a surprise. I agree. Yeah, I really love this song. I think this is a great song. I, I think this really, really should have made the album. And the version that we get, um, on, I can't remember exactly what single it's from, but it's, this is a Rafe McKenna-produced song. So it, it, it made it pretty far into the process here, but it didn't quite make the final cut. I'm sorry, it's an, it's an unfolds version of Fragile Thing. It is. Okay. All right. That's right. Yeah, this this is a great tune. And I'm, I'm glad you said it. I was going to say it too, because and it's been very recent for me as well, where I realized holy crap, the same thing. This is the fragile thing guy because of the movie, the diner and all this, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely s s some obvious similarities there that, that are so close that it's hard to uh, just, you know, turn your nose at them. Um, but yeah, lyrically, it's it's very cool when you get into those choruses. I, I love that. I love what he does with uh, the lines like, you don't need the sun up to be burnt and you don't need a horse to lose your shirt. I don't quite understand some of the lyrics. Um, as you say, maybe a deep dive would flesh this out more, but it seems like he goes to this place where there's cards being played and doormen and all, all kinds of things and something centering around this girl. I don't really understand what that's all about. But clearly it's about a guy who's who's missing the person he was with. One of my favorite lines is, I stumbled streets I sailed upon with you, girl. Oh, what a great freaking line that yeah. is <laughs> i just love that um the other thing i like about it a lot is the guitar solo it's just a very standard rock guitar solo and usually i prefer the celtic stuff from big country but it comes it's so harsh that it, and in your face i love it so anyway yeah great song should have been on the album All right, John Wayne's Dream, another song that I heard live before I ever heard the studio version of it, and um, I loved it live. I I, I really loved it. I, it was uh, it had a classic rock feel to it, and it still does on the recorded version. But for some reason, there's something about the recorded version that doesn't quite do it for me. Um, I think it's a little dull sounding, I guess, on, on the recorded version. Live, it just had more of the kick and obviously the, the sensation of hearing something live and, and being there with more energy and that kind of thing. Maybe that came through. Um, it, it's a very standard type of structure and arrangement of a song. Uh, I've heard those chords used before in a lot of different songs. But I like it. And, and it kind of takes us back to this whole thing that Stuart was writing about at the time, you know, looking to heroes, wanting to save the world. Um, it's got that sense again. He wants to be this Old West hero and have the save the pretty girl from the from the villains. 
and win at cards. And if someone accuses him, accuses him of being a cheat, he guns him down right in the street. So it's interesting from an American perspective, too, to hear what someone thinks of our American Westerns. And I know they were influential to people you know, around the world. Um, and it's interesting to hear that coming from Stuart and John Wayne, the old time hero of those movies back in the 50s and probably early 60s. But, um, yeah, it's a good song. I'd like to hear some some more to it in the arrangement again, like like some more guitar type stuff, maybe, because it's really just chords the whole way through. But, uh, yeah, I like it. It's it's solid. Yeah. John Wayne's Dream. Or should I say Wildland in My Heart Part 2? <laughs> because this this is just like that little boy again in front of the TV watching old movies, and in this case, old westerns. And uh, like he says, this is a theme in a lot of songs. He's wanting to be that hero. So this is this is definitely, to me, that kid from my land in my heart. And he's saying, don't wake me up. I'm dreaming John Wayne's dream. That's really all you need to have from the lyrics to understand what this song is all about. And uh, the song is really full of that thing. Like, uh, this is the kid living at home with his family. And uh, the chorus is almost triumphantly shouting out, hey, ma, hey, pa, look at me. Look, look who I am. Look what I can do. And... Um, also, the sister and brother gets there. So he's he's totally into it. And don't wake me up. I'm living John Wayne's dream. That's that's really all you need. It's the thematically very basic, and uh, you don't all the time see Stuart wallow in nostalgia. That for the most part seems to be fueled solely by happy memories. But that is what this song is to me. This is a happy childhood memory. Uh, and you can take that back to the poor guy in the diner and fragile thing where I get hurt, where he thinks back and all he ever wanted was to be that hero. So you can almost wonder how does it go for this kid in the end? And it's not so good. But uh, yeah, it's a good song, very solid melodically. Like you said, I, I think it sort of missed a nerve in the studio version, but it's still an overall good song. Nice. An interesting postscript they renamed the U.S. version of the album after this song. So yeah. that's um, that's one that, uh, you know, if this had been a deep dive, that would have been a little bit of a study. Yeah, very interesting that they did that. They must yeah. have liked the tune. All right, so now we've got This Blood's For You. and Yeah, that's me, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Cards close to his chest and smiled across the mud. Pulled the smoke from a green flag vest and laid back like a god. All right, this blood's for you. That's a song I don't always pull out, but every time I do, I am reminded of what a good song it is. Um, I thought it was cool on In the Scud. I still think it's cool there. Uh, when the electric one came, I really thought, wow, they have done something with the song. Uh, and uh, definitely the electric version sounds more of a big country song. It sounds like this is the band. Uh, whereas the acoustic displays perhaps clearer that it has an inspiration from the American roots tradition. It, um, it's one of those things, the title. Uh, we have Stewart's penchant for using titles from somewhere else. And this one he took from a beer ad slogan, This Bud's For You. And then you have this blood for you. And on the surface, when you just look at that, you think, oh, God, <laughs> why, do you cheap, why do you cheapen a song with a sort of 
a, a pun from uh, from a ad campaign. But if you actually look at the lyrics, it does not feel as cheesy as you'd think. Because uh, for a rewritten ad slogan title, it actually fits the song very well, and uh, it uh, it kind of it, it it becomes the hook that all the lyrics can be hung on. And um, I, I, I suspect I'm out of time to talk about the, the, the lyrics. But uh, the song and the music and especially the electric treatments, that's something that every time I do pull it out, I, I kind of am reminded that it's a decent track. Look at that. That was perfect. Yeah, because I, so, I sort of had to shy away from large parts of my discussion to fit it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of us have to do it. <laughs> it ain't me. No. And on that note... Yeah, this this is a good song. I I like it a lot too, but I much prefer the demo version on in the Scud. Um the the Ray version has some nice sonics to it, but I don't like the fact that he slowed it down and there there's stuff on there that doesn't really feel like big country to me. It almost feels like there're drum loops and things like that. Uh I don't I don't like what he did to the to the song. I I much prefer the earlier version. Um the what I really love about this tune uh, too is the guitar solo that kicks in like halfway through. It, it's it's almost not even a guitar solo. It's kind of like a lot of big country guitar breaks where they it's just kind of leading to the next verse more than more than more than it is a, a real solo section. But um, yeah, I, I've always had a problem with that title too. Even I still do. This bloods for you. This buds for you. I know what he's saying. This is certainly the most in your face, obvious religious song. I mean, in case you were wondering anything about it. I mean, he comes in in the last verse and said, God put his son upon the world to save the sins of men, watched them kill him on a cross and took him home again. So yeah, this song is about the blood of Jesus being there for everyone to uh, accept. It's almost like a, a song that he's trying to convert people with in some respects. Um, so one of, definitely one of the most straightforward religious songs that Stuart wrote around this time. Um, but I, I really like it. I like it a lot. I, like, I especially like the first verse where he's talking about this soldier who sacrifices himself to save someone's life. And he lays back like a god in his green flak vest. I think those are great lines. Very, very good lines that tell the story well. So, yeah. But I, give me the In the Scud version. Yeah, that's good. Cool. And uh, you're up next for Sleep Until Dawn. All right. Hold on a second. Just want to get the, the lyrics in front of me. And read them for the first time. <laughs> Quickly browse them. Okay, got it. Let's go. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I got your message at work. You sounded so hurt. All right, now, did you say sleep there till dawn? Because it's also sleep until dawn. Sleep until dawn, sleep there till dawn. Herein lies a similar pro- or a problem that we've got. What is, what is the damn title of this song? We don't know for sure. Um, it's, it's kind of an awkward phrase anyway. Sleep there till dawn, sleep until dawn. Um, and I think that's a problem with the song, honestly, in what is otherwise a really just a gorgeous song musically. But this is another song like Loserville that was really really long i wouldn't call it an epic because i don't think it was ever meant to be an epic but the live version of it was w- really long i mean over six minutes i would i would assume and rafe mckenna gave it his treatment and they cut the hell out of it and um again if you knew what came before it's hard to accept what rafe mckenna did because he cut out a lot of good verses he shortened the chorus you can tell he didn't know what to do with the chorus because in rafe mckenna's version 
he he sings, you've been tired tonight like you might have been crying, and then immediately goes to, so put your head on my shoulder, darling, sleep there till dawn. There's nothing that even rhymes with dawn there, and you could tell they're trying to force it, whereas in the original version, it's it soon will be gone, and then rhymes that with dawn. So yeah, I think they, they tried really hard with this song, but they just couldn't figure out what to do with it. Um, it's too bad because it's a beautiful song. It's a song, again, about Stuart swooping in to save the day with a woman who's, who's in a bad relationship. Um, he comes over, helps her pack up the stuff of her man who, who they've broken up, and he's taken over. Stuart is in control now. He is the man in charge with this woman. And um, it's an interesting subject to write a song about. But I think the song uh, musically is gorgeous. The guitar playing is gorgeous. Um, it's got a beautiful solo in it. And uh, they should have just recorded the long version. Yeah. Uh, I'm fairly certain I said sleep until dawn, but uh, it, they sound the same in any case. <laughs> that 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 question has haunted us many times. Uh, it's an interesting lyric, a song about the woman you care for who is trying to deal with the aftermath of a breakup with her ex as you are working out your own newly started relationship with her. That's that's kind of very unique. Like uh, he just called, he's crying. You go over to comfort her. It's, it's you know his bags are still there and didn't pick him up yet. It's kind of a weird situation, and uh, the lyrics have been in some change too as they've gone through, and and the, the title has changed. So um, sleep there till dawn, sleep until dawn. Uh, the the song title became until, but it, the chorus of the song still says there. So they are both there. Even <laughs> the song lyric doesn't say sleep until dawn. That's the title, and then. The, the lyrics, yeah, I don't care. I don't really think about it so much. The song, yes, it is. It's kind of a nice little ballad. It's uh, it's it's a little boring, isn't it? I <laughs> it I don't keep my interest till the end of the song. It's uh, I, I sleep there till dawn when when I put it on. <laughs> nice. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, you had a few seconds left, but that's good. And I, I gotta I gotta take this chance. I gotta throw a little rant in here. You, you get a bonus rant. And this isn't really about the song, even though it's based on the song. When I first heard this song, it was that bootleg. Um, Was it Lemon Tree? Is that what it was? Yeah, they played it at Lemon Tree. Yeah, yeah. That's when I first heard it. And man, I I was really taken with this song. But if you go back and listen to that bootleg, you will hear so many bastards talking so loudly, having full-blown conversations as that song is being played. I mean, tons of people. It drives me nuts. If you were one of the people there who was babbling away as Big Country was trying to play a new song that you never heard before, um, you know, shame on you. Shame on you. You you twit. <laughs> and if you go to any show and someone is playing a quiet song, just can you just hold your conversation or go somewhere else? Because if it's recorded, there's your there's your voice forever. Talking about, hey, what are we gonna go do tonight? I don't know. <laughs> you know, and you're ruining that song forever. <laughs> so uh, it's it's so true, and it's this is a disease, and it's it's been festering, and it it happens everywhere. And 
you know, the, the, we did a discussion for, uh, I think it was um, Your Spirit to Me. You were talking about Your Spirit to Me and how to play it in Nashville. And I was pulling up the audio from that show to play a little bit of it. And in, during the intro, I actually had to edit out part of the intro because you hear, oh, my God, they're playing a new song. I wonder <laughs> if this song is going to be on the album. Yeah, they're playing a new song. <laughs> just, just going, Why? I don't need live commentary. This is not a wrestling match or a football match. Or come on, it's let's let's let the song speak for itself, and then then you can talk about it. But there's more than one voice. I mean, by no way am I singling out the one person who spoke. It yeah. was everybody. Yeah. And you can make out individual conversations on on that other one you mentioned, the, the lemon tree, and even uh, Lucerville. That, yeah. that we, we play that on the show for everybody to hear, and in the beginning, you can hear conversations happening. I know. It's and, like, um, why? What? What are you? Why are you there? Why are you there if that's what you want to do? I mean, you know, I, that's ridiculous. Anyway, that yeah, that's that's my rant. Just shut up, please, at these shows. And I guess I joined in, so that uh, good. So we both had yeah. a little bit of one. We had a foot in it, both of us. All right, that takes us to another misty morning. This is your. This is your. Wild card, isn't it? <laughs> Just to piss you off, I can pick it. <laughs> okay. I don't know. No, I don't think I need a wild card for this. Oh, thank God. But I, I might, I might change my mind when uh, when we get into it. Another Misty Morning. Now, this is the song I had the luxury of spending uh, quite some time talking about when I did uh, the Tony Butler Great and Known episodes with Ireland. So if you want to hear more about that song and our long discussion on it, that's in episode 48. But for now, we have the final song on the final single of the Stuart Ludwig Country. And it's a song about wanking. And uh, in case you didn't hear episode 48, you don't need to take my word for that. Tony Butler has introduced it as such many times when playing it live. And uh, you can see the, the lyrics also. It's it's kind of one verse is, uh, sits at home, uh, looks at the magazine, there's a glamour shot, and he raises his eyebrows and goes, ooh, eh. And uh, there you go. He wonders why, which is a line that uh, I know Tom loves. And then the next uh, verse, he sees someone on TV, and it's uh, some nice lady on TV, and you know, hmm. And that's really the song. It's it's a song about the guy getting fancies, and I think it's hilarious that this ends up being a bookend to the Stuart-led era of uh, of Big Country, where the other bookend would be the very first song they released, which is Harvest Home, the 1982 version. Ugh. Gosh. And the very last song they released, the Stuart-led one, was is turns out to be another misty morning. Ugh. So just to have those two songs bookend the Stuart-led studio era of Big Country is is hilarious. <laughs> I think I think the Stuart of 1982 would have been appalled at the thought, but I'm sure the the latter year Stuart actually would have found it very humorous. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I guess, use a wild card. Let me use a wild card. I'll talk a bit more about this song. All right, another on. ninety seconds. Okay, go. Okay, yeah. So, so the, the fact that this song is about 
wanking. It's it's not called out. Well, uh, the title is kind of when you know it, it's kind of a fun pun. Another misty morning. There you go. He's not talking about the mist hanging over Albert Bridge in London. He, he has his own mist going on inside. So um, this uh. um, this song is, uh, I think, not played by all the members of Big Country. I'm pretty sure uh, it's Tony and Mark, with Tony playing most of it. Mark doing drums, and I think that's a song that it was brought in and it ended up on the single that that's just my suspicion i don't know i don't even think it's mark well he's credited with playing drums on the bonus track section of uh, the great unknown so it is mark no. and um so but it's uh it, uh whether you see it as a big country track or not it is a bookend to the country's recording career nonetheless and it's uh it's very interesting that uh you know tony has played it live I wonder if he's going to play this live in his upcoming solo tour. Uh, and I, I'm running out of things to say. I'm just taking the wild card to piss off Tom. So I'll read some lyrics for you, Tom. <laughs> I wonder if she'd dance for me and wear those sleazy clothes. That's a good sort of counterweight to the other book. And just as you sow, you shall reap, which also has overtones of something interesting. Oh, um, please. <laughs> say oh. about it, Bell revolting <laughs> no, we, we weren't quite saved by the bell oh i thought i heard the bell no you did hear the bell but we weren't saved by the bell because you still got that filth in but i can use my last wild card and uh <laughs> no i won't <laughs> yeah i mean i am never gonna think of this song as being a bookend to anything except uh it's just it's just not a good song it's not a good song i i I, know, I do not believe this is Mark Brzecki drumming. It doesn't sound anything like Mark drumming. It sounds like someone who is, is just sort of has the ability to drum, and they're just drumming because it's such a rudimentary pattern. You don't um, think that the credits of a track record release is wrong, do you? Uh, well, that, the, the liner notes. It's quite possible. But they're always no, it, correct. Either either way, and maybe he maybe if it was Mark, maybe he was just so bored that he just like couldn't get anything going for this song, which is which is <laughs> ironic considering what the song is about. Um, yeah, I don't like the song. I don't like the music. I don't like the vocal. I don't like the lyrics. I don't understand what he's wondering about constantly in this song. <laughs> it's like what is he? What are you wondering about? You're like you see this woman, you see this beautiful woman, and then you're like, I wonder why. What? What do you? You wonder why? What? What are you wondering about? That's just bizarre lyric writing. Um, but then he does kind of explain, I wonder if she danced for me. And I guess I guess that's the answer to what he's wondering about. Um, yeah, I got nothing to say about this song. It's another misty morning comes and goes. Yeah, it's gone for me. I don't want to revisit it. Travis. There's always another one. <laughs> There's always another misty morning in the future. I, I never even thought about the title in that way until you said it. So... <laughs> that, uh, disgusting just disgusting. but you do see it don't you yeah uh, i don't know it could just be like it's just a just a dull morning that he's come on let me how... pull you on the filth train <laughs> all right we're done with that so i'll let you talk get out of the mist and uh, get into ages of a man Song of perversion to uh, to this song of 
epic biblical proportions. Um, this is another song that that hits too close to home to you, Dreamer, for me. It sounds like almost like a slowed down version of you, Dreamer. It's it's very slow and plodding. I, it's I, I like a lot of the music in some respects because it sounds like big country. I mean, there are a lot of big country isms in this song, but I feel like the pace of it is just very meandering, very plodding, and I lose interest in it fairly quickly. Um, that that said, it's got an interesting theme. It's got interesting lyrics and tons of biblical references in this song as well, all over the place. I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting because here we've got like him being led in this dream type of scenario by Jesus, I'm assuming, um, the stranger who's showing him the ages of a man. He's showing him what man is worth. He's showing him the history of man, how man has evolved. Um, and he's walking on water in the beginning, and Stuart is feeling worried that and then he looks at the man and he feels calm again so it's almost like this is the same character that we meet in the driving to damascus song and you know if you're going to take both of those as jesus then it is it is the same character and i think it's obvious that that's who he's writing about here um so from that perspective i think it's interesting like when he says about you told me once of isaac and what was meant for him and there's, there's a biblical reference to the story of abraham god a- asking him to sacrifice his son isaac and he was willing to do it but he didn't quite go through with it but Anyway, it, it's it's an okay song. It's just kind of boring to me. <laughs> and I never liked yeah. the U U U O thing in the chorus. That that's too much. Like that, stretching out the word "you" uh, for like two measures. It's that ruins the chorus for me. You shall not pass. All right. Ages of a Man is the bonus track from the deluxe edition of Peace in Our Time, and the fact that it was mislabeled has almost become one of those annoyances that you hold against it <laughs> because uh, it annoys you and you wonder how could it happen because it does not sound like the Ariel tapes. It, it is clearly 10 years removed. And um, even so, if you're going to pick one song from the Drive to Damascus sessions that at least remind you a little bit of, of that time, this isn't a bad pick. Because Ages of a Man stylistically is a throwback to Old Big Country. Uh, sort of if you look at the ingredients more than the actual song. There's definite traces of some Celtic rock here and there. There's some melodic structure that can remind us of older times and older mindsets. And you got to wonder if this style and this song is something that came naturally for them. Or if they tried to make a song like old times on purpose. And also... Uh, Further on in that line of thinking, if if this was a song that they could still produce naturally, then you got to wonder why didn't they try more of that than they did. So uh, Ages of a Man's style is something I like. Um, the actual song is okay. It's uh, It doesn't end up being a huge favorite for some reason. And I've wondered why, and I've been thinking about this, because I should like it a lot. And I, I just, I hear all the ingredients. I don't... Um, I guess it lacks, if they played it more live and developed it, perhaps it would have gelled more as a song. Yeah. And I didn't have time to do the lyrics, but you did those, so I guess we're okay. Yep. All right, I'm on this train. You want 180, right? I want 180 on I'm on this train. My last wild card.
have two versions of the song. The version on Rarity 7 was recorded at Mainframe Studios in September 1998. And uh, this is the version that we assume is the demo. It is often labeled as the demo. JFNG's site lists this as the demo. Big Country Book of Lyrics lists this as the demo. And the version included on One in a Million, the acoustic compilation that was eventually made available in 2001, is seen as the finished version or labeled as the finished version. That is, uh, I think, definitely not the case. So if we listen to the One in a Million version of I'm on this train, it's, it's clearly not a band performance. There's a drum machine. There are layered acoustic guitar parts. So, so it fits well on the One in a Million collection, which uh, is exactly meant to be a collection of acoustic songs. But it sounds like Stuart is doing this on his own. It is a basic drum machine track, acoustic parts, a vocal on top. Sounds very clean. It's, it sounds better, perhaps, than what is thought of as the demo, which is the Rarity 7. But if you listen to that, that is clearly a band playing. And that might still be a demo, but even so... I think that is the newest version we have. And if that is a demo, it's a newer demo than the more basic demo on One in a Million. So I think this is more falling into what we have on Rarity 7 with some other songs like version one and version two. The One in a Million version is definitely version one. And also looking at these two versions, you find that the lyrics are quite different. They were partially rewritten and partially rearranged between the two versions that we have. And uh, looking at the two sets of lyrics, the Rarity 7 version looked definitely more tightened up and finished to me, which also supports the claim that this is the newest version of the song we have. It also is tightened up musically. It's just about a full minute shorter than the one in a million version. So I think it's time to update the history books on what should be considered a demo or at least the most complete version of the song we have. Uh, The topic is the same in both sets of lyrics. It's about getting hell out of Dodge, splitting this town, leaving something behind. And um, as always, there's a girl in the mix. And part of the lyrics in both versions are, long before the morning I'll be gone, maybe she will think of me, but not the train I'm on. And this is followed by a passage I find really interesting um, on the one in a million version, um, which is the one I think came first. He sings, now all the world's a different place to you. We'll work out all the haircuts. It's important stuff to do. And Stuart's fiancée was, of course, a hairdresser. So that seems like a mighty coincidence. He says, we'll work out all the haircuts. I actually think it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I actually think it's with workouts, malls, and haircuts, where workouts, malls, and haircuts are important stuff to do. Okay, because the Rarity 7 version thinks shopping malls and haircuts is important stuff to do. Yeah, that's how I hear it, is where workouts, malls, and haircuts are important stuff to do. Exactly. I blame J, F, and G. Yeah, there, there, there are errors on that. There are errors yeah. on those things. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so just to take back the seconds you stole, if you instead of working out all the haircuts, it looks like someone's more preoccupied with going to the mall and having a haircut. So that's my point was uh, just because the hairdressing thing is a lot of people leap to that conclusion, but uh, the other version kind of doesn't point that way. So if this was a proper deep dive, which it isn't, we would have talked more about this. So I just think uh, it's a pleasant little song. If it had been on the album, I would probably have judged it a lot harsher than I do. I don't mind the song as it is, but it's it's obviously not a prime offering from the band. It's a, just an interesting outtake. That's what it should be. Yeah, yeah. I had to steal those seconds. I couldn't let you continue with that. I did it for you. Yeah, but I, I was kind of going that way, even 
the lyrics I got wrong, but my conclusion still stands that I wasn't going with the fiance. And that's oh, no. because the Rarity 7 version definitely pointed differently. Another bell. Okay. You, got, you got another 90 seconds. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, but we, we talked amongst ourselves too. So this is all very fair. That's fair. That's fine. All right. Give me my 90 seconds for this bastard. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, I, I really I – really, love this band version of the song i and clearly that's the that's the final version or if not the final version then another working of the song because you don't you don't record a song with a full song with a full band and then go back and record almost the same song except longer with a drum machine and call that a final version <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. jfng switched the demo tag to the one in a million version yeah so but it, it's a cool song i i, I uh at first first listen i I didn't like it as much and I thought it was kind of interesting, but when I heard that full band version, it just something clicked with me. It's got kind of like a film noir type of feel to it. It's got, uh, it's, it's very different from big country. I, I really like the verses too, like the verse chord structure. Um, it's just jazzy almost. And I wouldn't normally think that I would like something jazzy from big country, but is so help me. I, I don't know why, but I, I like this song. Um, I never really saw this song as like somebody skipping town. I, I I saw it. I see this as a song about drones, you know, like because uh, when he says I'm on this train, me and a hundred other guys sharing the same fear. It's like they're all together on this on this this train doing the same things, and he keeps talking about things that are mundane and like people rearranging their chairs for the next crowd and whiskey bottles swoon like fly and swoon like summer birds great line another line that he says on the street the mailman hates the junkyard dogs replace their teeth I mean, what a great line that is here the devil buys your soul and sells it back again um so yeah i, I think it's a song about drones and just futility the big clue to leaving town is lines like long before the morning i'll be gone yeah, that's true. That that would make it seem like he's leaving. I, I and I know exactly. I know that line, and um, I don't know when that is followed by maybe she will think of me, but not the train I'm on. You know, there are many kinds of trains, and uh, again, with a deep dive, we have the luxury of analyzing further. This yeah. is the off the cuff rough take. Yes. Damn it! Wait for the deep dive in uh, twelve years' time. We'll get to it. <laughs> All right, you want me to go. This is a reworking of a of a song that they recorded, sort of in between "Peace in Our Time" and "No Place Like Home," I believe. Um, it, there's another version of this that came out on one of the rarities, and I think the the first version that we got is the far superior version. It sounds more like big country. It's got uh, much better instrumentation i think to it now i think i would have liked the song more if i hadn't heard that first version um this song is okay it, it, it's a little again it's a little too country for me uh it crosses the line a little bit especially when you get into the verses and it's like goes into that boom 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 i was like oh come on you know it, <laughs> it's so much different than the original version that we got which which had a lot more celtic flair to it and a lot more a lot cooler parts to it i think 
Um, but this is an interesting song, and again, it's about a failed relationship, a, a constant theme that we get from Stuart, and um, it seems like whoever he's talking about has has had many instances where they've wanted him to go because it seems like the the person singing this um, says, you know, here I here we go again. I can tell this look in your eye. You want me to leave again. So it seems like they they've they've been having this issue, whatever the whatever the problem is, it's ongoing. And at times they break up and they get back together. And it's it's about someone who's clearly been together a long time because he says like I don't touch the things I used to touch. We carry on too far. We forget too much. Um, you can tell it's about a long term relationship that's lost its spark. So who knows? Could be about his first marriage. But uh, anyway, I much prefer the original first version. Yeah. Yeah, just like yourself, I prefer the Rarities 2 version of the song. This sounds like a good classic big country track. Uh, all the ingredients, all the face value hooks that are supposed to hit you are there. Um, this is another song with a very clear, strong lead guitar line running through it. And they have a lot of those in this era where the song might even be acoustic and uh, quieter. And then the sharp lead line comes through with melodic brilliance. And this is another one of those it almost defines the song on its own um if anything it might even be a little bit overused because they 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 know it's good and they know how to use it but uh, the song is strong the band playing alongside it is really good so um as far as the topics and the the title the title really says all you need to know about what the song is about uh, they um the guy senses that he's not welcome any longer outstayed his welcome or she feels colder you don't know if it's uh, it, it could be a phase, it could be permanent, but uh, the the pain that he feels for sensing this is quite real. And especially lines like, I've never seen rain that didn't look like tears, never seen pain that didn't look like fear. And fear is something he, he mentions a lot in his songs. And But I've seen the way you look at me that lets me know you want me to go. Very sad lines, really. So uh, So that becomes yet another contrast song where with happy music and some sad lines in there. This is a really lovely song, uh, but I must admit, it was a bit of a forgotten song for me because of the CD it was tucked away on. I never played a one in a million compilation, and that's where this resides. So if you, like me, almost forgot about this song for a while, just go and rediscover it. It's really a nice little gem. And uh, the melody of the chorus, I knew I had heard that before, and it actually partially makes use of the melody from the Return to the Two-Headed King. When he sings, uh, and here below your gentle rays, I find the naked me. That is the same vocal melody as the verses of Two-Headed King. And at the moment I heard that, I knew I'd heard it before. And uh, I found it, and that was pleasing, but it, it really works very well. 
And uh, if this was a full-fledged deep dive, you would get the full comparison. But for now, just go check it out yourself. You'll feel rewarded just by the coolness of, of hearing the similarity. But the song itself is quite basic, uh, but really a melodic gem. Lovely melody, very good harmonies, just very pleasing and a soothing song. And uh, for once, the lyrics are uplifting as well, about discovering a lady who is so amazing that the light she shines will set you free. And she welcomes you in. So the song is almost an oasis of goodness from this time, which is quite rare. And uh, the imagery is partially tainted by the line that she has a pearl necklace given to her by a sailor. But um, you would have have expected that from a song by Tony a few songs ago. But um, for now, I will leave it at that and just enjoy the goodness that is this melody and the lyrics. Must you pollute everything? I just call it like I see it. I it's there. It's I don't right believe there. that's what he meant. I don't believe I just, it. I didn't say it was anything but a pearl necklace given by Sailor. That's in the lyrics. All right, all right. It's in the lyrics. I I know, but we know where you were. We know where you were taking that. I'm just reading it out, and you can do your own take. Mister talked and smoked all through the night. Blew the mist and silver swirls. Either the mist comes up again. <laughs> All right. Are you ready with uh, your interesting take on this song? Yeah, but I think if your mist has silver swirls in it, you should see a doctor. (laughs) Or a teacher. (laughs) All right. All right. Yeah, Daystar. uh, Nice little tune. um, Drum machine playing on this. So it's it's certainly a a very early demo type of working on the song that that never um, really took off. Now, one of the things that always sort of bother me about the song though is that it is a complete and utter ripoff of the song my songbird by emmy lou harris and uh when my 90 seconds are finished i'm going to play just a quick clip of that and so Svine can hear it and he can hear it too and if he hasn't heard this before but i know stewart was a big fan of emmy lou harris and we we actually talked about her at times and um, i know he was listening to her at the time that he was writing these songs and um you'll hear that the the melody line in the verse is just completely exactly like the song My Songbird from Emmylou Harris. But that said, there's also a nice little line in here that, that that's, goes back to one of Stewart's favorite songs. In fact, it was played at his funeral. It's a song called Shining Silently or Shine Silently by Nils Lofgren. And um, we've got that line in here that says Shining Silently. And I think that's really, really – that gives me goosebumps when I – read it because i know that he loved that song shine silently um so much so that it was again it was played at his funeral and uh i'm sure that was a nod and not a not an accident that that line appeared in this song um so yeah it's it's a long song though it's almost six minutes long so it's another one of those that's like unnecessarily long but i I really like the mandolin and i really like the breakdown section when the mandolin kicks in and um it would have been very very cool to hear a full band version of this song so, okay, this is My Songbird by Emmy Lou Harris. So I'm just going to play the, the opening verses, and then you tell me what you think about the similarities after I'm finished. Here we go. Songbird in a golden cage She
<laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure you can hear that. It's like, it's not even, I mean, it's not even a slight change. It's like exact. <laughs> oh, that That's, there, there's no doubt. I just have one question. Did Emily Harris steal it from NXS first? <laughs> I don't think she did. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah. Um, that also casts a new line on the melody line from Return to the Two-Headed King. Yeah, there you go. And that is an old song. It's, it's an old song. But um, she, mm. she had recently recorded like a new live version of it around the time Daystar was written. So, yeah, mm. yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure that was a, a big influence. Maybe that's part of the reason why it didn't make, the, make it any further. Maybe it was one of those subconscious things. Or, and then you realize, holy crap, this is, this is my songbird. But yeah. uh, anyway. Uh, that's good. It's a good little song. Your deep interest in country music is paying off it for is. the podcast. I know, finally, finally. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> All right, and from that we go into Sweet November Nothings. This coat that I'm wearing Sweet November Nothings. I really, I really like this song a lot. It's, um, it, it kind of falls in with these other songs like Sun in My Shadow and uh, Don't You Stay as far as I, w- I would put it in that same time period because it's got a very similar feel to all these acoustic-driven songs. And um, it makes me think, again, that this would have been Stewart's solo album. Like, these songs would have been uh, what would have comprised his solo album had he continued along that route. Um, but I like this song. It's 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 uh, short and sweet. Um, it's a painful song, once again, about uh, losing a love and thinking of, of memories about that person. Um, it's not really what usually I would expect Stuart to write. And again, I think there's there might be more of that whole writing exercise going on here where he's trying to force himself to write a little bit differently maybe than he's used to. But I think that that pays off here, um, especially in like the chorus. There's some as it builds into that chorus. It's, it's a weird chorus. It almost like there there are some dissonant sounds in the chorus um, when he sings lines like "I remember you, you and me. What we had was really something." Um, it, it's cool, and I like the whole. I, I love fall myself, so it's, I always feel kind of more romantic and melancholy in the fall. So it's a good fall song. And, and the idea of him raking leaves with this woman and, and him remembering this in their coats that they wore at the time, just that little seemingly mundane fact. It's, it, it's sweet. So it's a, it's a haunting song. Yeah, I, I quite agree. Uh, we're coming into a group of songs now, this song and onward really that um, they were first made available on rarities eight which was released to us all in December 2005. So this was quite a few years after when we thought perhaps now the the source has run dry. Um, but this one came out uh, later than other, other Damascus era songs. And I remember we were a little unsure where they belonged, uh, but you were the one who championed they, they have to they have to belong here. They just have to. And I think you got a response from Bruce that he said they definitely were part of a batch of songs that – he did it in Nashville, and they did it in one go. So it sounds like that. So it, it makes total sense. And uh, I, I definitely pick up on that melancholy feel. It's uh, it's very nice. And the fact that November's in the title also doesn't really hide it. And uh, 
as far as the topics, used to be my favorite time of year, but November's nothing without you. And that, that really sums it up. He's walking around remembering times when he was with someone and uh, quote unquote, going crazy over sweet November nothings. So seeing things that remind him of their time together and he's missing her, still not over her. And that is the crux of these lyrics. So um, I like how Stuart sings this song or a lot of the song in a lower voice than normal. Mm-hmm. It makes for a very somber delivery that fits what he's singing about and it fits sort of the mood. He doesn't do that a lot. So that's something I pick up on every time I hear and I really like that. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah. So just quickly in closing, the music is nice, but it probably says a lot that I don't pull it out often. And I think that is because I think it more as a Stuart song than a big country song. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. So simple's always best. Yeah. Or is it? We'll see. Another singer-songwriter song that I really don't connect with Big Country. This is something that, perhaps even more so than the last one, I place very firmly in Stuart solo material category. Um, I don't like it quite as much as uh, Sweet November Nothings. I think that's one of the best of this type of song. This is uh, decent. I quite like the music. Um, I, uh, I think I would need to pull out the song from time to time to remind myself of how it sounded like, and I needed to do that now ahead of this as well. I think um, lyrically where this one fails me a bit, uh, there are some novel ideas and basically the, the best isn't always simple, but simple's always best. And I think you can do a lot on that topic and I like the premise, but he ends up basically drawing the picture of some guy's personal philosophy or whatever, as in, I don't say much, but you can believe in what I say when I say something, or I don't dress up fancily, I'm a basic guy, or no need to impress with big words, or... Or my, my, my favorite bad example, I'll say I love you. If I say any more, it would mean less. That's a, I can appreciate the picture Stuart's trying to paint here, but this ends up meaning very little to me as a message and as a lyric that means much. Um, if, it was, if I sensed this was more Stuart, I really don't feel that at all. I think this is just a, an experiment or a songwriting exercise uh, where um, the music is quite okay. Um, the lyrics kind of just pass by and don't... Don't stick. Don't make an impression. Yeah, I I, uh, I feel kind of similar. I, I really like the song, though. I, it's Lyrically, it's got some good moments, even though I, I agree. Like, I'm not sure exactly what the overall theme is. But let's remember, he took this. I, I do think it's definitely part of Stewart's personality because he then would write a song called Simple Man not much longer after this for the Raphael's project. That, I feel, is more about him. That's certainly about him, but I think this has moments that are about him, too. I mean, I, th- I think I think it's inspired by things that he probably feels. He's always seemed to be a guy who's preferred simplicity, and I think the one line that really sums it up for him is that, I got no time for the high life. And that all, that's, that's Stuart. I mean, he was never a guy who liked the trappings of rock and roll. He didn't like the trappings of rock and roll stardom. He was a guy who much prefer to spend a night with his family than go out on the town with Richard Jobson, you know, when they were with the skids and that would cause friction even back then. So I, I, I would, I would 
agree that this is probably more of a, a writing exercise type of thing. But I do think I do I do see Stewart in these lyrics, um, in some of them anyway. Uh, some of them are just funny lines. Like I I like the line I've never been a fancy Dan. I've got so much dirt on my hands. I think I bleed it. You know that's not Stewart. He's not a guy who got gets his hands in the in the uh, literal dirt. Although he, he certainly gets it in the metaphorical dirt when he's writing his his songs. But also like the line, if money talks, it don't say much to me. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a good tune. It's a good tune. It's, it's, it, it fits in with all these others. Yeah. All right. That takes us to Soldier of the Lord. The Lord. They've got a sin of me I've got four rounds in this pistol But I'm saving one for me Soldier of the Lord, this is an interesting, interesting tune. I, I really like the song a lot musically. I like the song in general. Um, but the lyrical subject matter is, is tough. It's, it's, uh, it's creepy. It's it's scary almost i mean it's about a guy who is basically killing for for god for what he believes is a righteous cause and i I know we we had talked about this before but i i don't have the kind of like with the uh bella thing being about curse i don't have the actual quote but this is a guy about a guy who blows up an abortion clinic and um you you get lines and i can't remember if it's if it's a i know people have done this but i can't remember if this is about the actual guy or not i know the name is eden harper but i didn't get a chance to search that to see if that was the real name but in any case we get we get some ideas about that later where he says he he hears god talking to him and he's born to fight the devil he wants to fight for god he hears hears god talking to him later that says suffer the little children and um he says he wants to fight to keep the wolf from the lambs and there was there was a spate of these types of things that happened uh, a number of years ago, and I'm sure it still could happen, where people who claiming to be doing this for God have have bombed abortion clinics or killed abortion doctors. And um, there's a there's a p- portion of the lyrics in here where they're talking about how he can go get materials to do something if he goes to this particular guy, he can find materials to make his bomb and to cause this problem. So. Very, very creepy song, and yet very, very catchy song. And I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Man, cool. I wish I had more time on this one, but uh, okay. Yeah, I, I have a sense you could have really gone with it. Yeah, this is a country song. Um, there's no dodging that bullet. And it's interesting that you say some some previous songs crosses the line for you. This is the most country song that that of, of this batch in my eyes. <laughs> uh, even the lyrics fall into that tradition of country storytelling, and the title also gives it an association of almost Christian storytelling of the type that some types of country music will uh, will be associated with. And um, just like you said, all big all big country fans seem to have their line somewhere for as far as how strong their country music element in big country should be. And some are very sensitive to it. It feels like the line is crossed as soon as Stuart just sings with a twang. And for others, the line is barely crossed. And for me, this is the song where the line is crossed. I really can't stand this song musically. Um, or 
uh, I can take a page from your book. I, I don't really hate it, but I strongly dislike it and stuff <laughs> like that. And that, that, that's really how I feel about it. I, I honestly don't think the Drive to Damascus album is that country at all. And that's a different discussion that perhaps is part of a sum up. I, I see it as a lot more Americana or singer songwriter or roots music at best. And even a lot of genuine big country moments. More of the B sides points toward country. And this one, this one is all in. And if this was any other band, my patience for this song would be zero. So just by being uh, played by Big Country, it kind of gets a pass. But honestly, it goes too far for me. And so, yeah, I um, I didn't get into the lyrics. And I had a three-page dissection. Uh, that's such a shame. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> well, almost. I bet you did. I'll post it somewhere. I mean, I mean, yeah, and we're going to move on, but yeah, I guess you're right. It is very country. I guess for me, the reason it's different than some of these other ones is because some of the other ones seem too radio-friendly country to me, whereas this seems more like old school. This is hardcore. It is. It's got like that, and it does have kind of a punky feeling to it. And I don't, remember Stuart said like he was going to make a country punk album. And this got it's got a hard edge to it, even if the even if the structure is definitely country and the harmonies are very country. But punk, I don't know. Maybe that's why it sticks out a little bit for me. Punk, punk country. I will. Uh, I'm putting up my most quizzical look in vain because no one can see it. But uh, all right, <laughs> let us move on to small town big news. All right. He was born out of wedlock when the summer turned to autumn. Somebody saw her daddy at the bus stop. They said he looked like a guy off the Waldens. Ain't nothing new, it ain't all that strange. You won't matter much in the scheme of things. There's a lot to say, but not much to do. But for a small town, it was big Small Town Big News. Uh, this is cut a bit from the same cloth as the other Verity 8 song from this era. Interesting song. The song lyric follows up the life of a girl who seems to be the source of a lot of gossiping in the small town she's growing up in. And the quote-unquote uh, disasters are just following each other. Born out of wedlock, skipped out of high school with a guy on a motorcycle, uh, dressing scandalously, getting married to someone that, for some reason, everybody can see she wasn't in love with. It's kind of all the little things that people will say, whether that's true or not. Who can say? This is the kind of stuff that a small town will gossip about. So as the lyrics go, for a small town, it was big news. Uh, And that's an interesting one. It's another kind of American small town type song that uh, I, I get a lot of that from him. So it's clear that it came from when he was inspired by his new uh, surroundings. And that works fine for me. Uh, and musically as well, this song is fine. Um, I think once again, the, the vocal melody is the strongest part of the song. Even when he sings the part that goes, especially ain't nothing new at all, that's strange. It won't matter much in the scheme of things. Lovely melody. And that, that's almost the best part of the song to me. Um and I like it, even though, again, I find this song really quite unsuitable as a big country song. But if Stuart wanted to launch a singer-songwriter type solo career, this is the kind of stuff I would have loved to see him explore a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, at, at this point, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm getting a little weary of the uh, poor people with their second 
stepdaddy and drunken father and babies out of wedlock and living in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, it seems like that is a constant uh, type of theme in these songs, a lot of these th- songs that he's been writing. Um, and, and this is, of course, just because we've been talking about every single one of them <laughs> back to back. So if I would just take this song uh out of that context and just listen to it and then listen to something completely different. I might, you know, at this moment be feeling a little differently about it, but yeah, it, it's a fine song. It's, it's, uh, it, I like the title of it. It's a typical country type of song title where they try to make this interesting play on words. So small town, big news. That's the kind of songs that song titles that they would come up with in Nashville. Um, I, I, did, I always did get a kick out of him rhyming high school with motorcycle, and it actually worked, you know, out of high school, motorcycle. It's really – it's cool. It's a cool little rhyme. Um, but, yeah, the rest of it, it doesn't mean much to me. It, this this song probably sounds the most like some sort of writing exercise, and I feel like he's covered these themes many times before in better ways. Um, I do like the, the melodrum or the or – the, the concertina or whatever it is, uh, the melodica, I think maybe is the right word for it. It's like an accordion sounding instrument that's played in this song. Um, so there's some cool instrumentation going on, but it's forgettable. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I realized after I was told, I really came out the gate loving that song, but uh, it's, it's, it is a good song, but uh, in the larger scheme of things, I think you framed it right out the gate the right way that at this point, there's a sameness that's taken over as far as topics go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that that one, I I felt those words ring very true in my soul as you said them. So I'm kind of backing you on that. One. <laughs> nice. All right, good. Second time around. That's the last one. Yes. Hope your guest tech isn't completely out. It's almost. I walk that where the summer fields were green. And I thought about the road that I can't beat All the beds I made All the plans I can lay When you look back on your life It's just a dream I can't run up any passing food But I can't see clearly to be true But if we are part of the Second time around, this I think this is a great song. It's, it's such a shame that we don't have a better quality recording of this. Um, the recording that we do have has been released on YouTube. It's a song that had problems in the recording and that we've never gotten the uh, the actual mastered version of it. I wish we had because I think this is a really good song. And it's got a lot of really good big country-esque type of things to it, starting in the very beginning with just really a beautiful little guitar part that brings the song in and um it it definitely has a country feel to it especially when you get into the chorus but i think there's enough old school type of big country isms in this song that really make it ring true to the big country legacy um i I can't make out a lot of these lyrics Uh, there's some that drive me crazy in the chorus and yes i know they're printed on the lyric page on jfng's site but i don't believe some of those are right i'm sorry i just don't like the main one that gets me is like is the chorus at the second time of asking is what it sounds like he's saying but i don't know i don't know exactly what he's saying there um the the lines on the webpage say at and the second time i've asked you and i don't think that sounds right but anyway what this song seems to boil down to me is that he's talking about an afterlife because he says if we are part of a grander plan then i hope my place is standing next to you 
and um, it's interesting. Is again, he's talking about a lost love, and and uh, I think, and um, I think the second time around to me is either you could take it as maybe trying to get back together, but I almost take it as uh, as the afterlife. So it's a mm. great it's a great song. I, I wish they could have I w- wish they could have done a fully produced version of it. Yeah, like like every song, I, I welcome a fully produced of anything. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the song that got away. You you won't find it uh, on any release. It is on YouTube, so you can go and listen to it there for as long as that lasts. But um, yeah, this demo version, it was recorded at the Stansbridge Studio in March 98. And we did touch on this in the timeline, and we did play a little sample and talk a little bit about it. But it kind of belongs in this discussion because it is the last non-album track from this era that we haven't talked about. So... The demo is interesting. I think it needs something, but a lot of demos do, so I'm not holding it against it. It's obviously not a finished song. My main complaint at this point is that there is a sameness running through it, but I, it has a lot of good ingredients. I really like the guitar break that runs after each chorus. If you go back and listen to that, that is very nice. And a, a better produced version probably would have made that shine a bit more to be the shining guitar line that many songs from this era has. And uh, the song is really okay. It is more a big country song than a lot of the last four or five, six songs we talked about, but I still don't feel it fits big country. I think it would have been a damn fine Stuart solo song more than a big country song, but that's not something I really hold against the song. But uh, when I listen to big country, I, I'm looking for that big country thing. And if I had pulled out a Stuart Adamson solo album, then I would be in, in the mode for that type of song. So I think it more falls into that. But uh, as a lost song... It's always a shame. And this song definitely is better than a lot of songs that uh, we have touched upon in this. God, is it two hours? <laughs> two hours. <laughs> well, we covered, uh, we, we covered 24 songs in two hours. That's amazing. We Not did. even the podcast can do that. <laughs> yes, they can. They can cover 24 albums in that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Shut up! Any last comments before uh, before we leave? Yes, I have one last comment, and this is a very important segment because we have been running a competition on our oh, Facebook page. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And uh, this is a competition that we have not addressed much on the podcast episode. This is a Facebook competition. So if we have listeners who aren't on the Facebook, there's time to reconsider. This might not be the last one. We, we actually have a list of prizes. So if we just stop sitting on our hands, we can actually have more competitions. But this competition was very easy. We have a copy of the In the Scud EP to give away to a random person who just clicked like on the post where we announced the competition. And now we're going to draw and we, we're going to do this live so again, this is going to be extremely tidy and, and compelling listening. But uh, I'm going to have you, Tom, do the actual drawing. And we need to uh, be sure that it's, it's totally random. So I'm going to send you a link now. Okay. Are you sending it through Skype? Yeah, I'm sending it through Skype. www.random.org. Okay. I'm looking at it now. And then you see the true random number generator. Yep. Yep. So the so the minimum should be one and the maximum should be one hundred and six, which means that one hundred and six people clicked like on that post. And before you click the generate button, uh, to be to be sure that we haven't cheated, I want you to go to the Great Divide folder on the OneDrive and download to your desktop the Driving to Damascus uh, in the Scud competition document, and don't open it; just have it for reference. 
Oh, crying out loud. All right, hold on. <laughs> okay. Okay, so when that's stored on your desktop, then you can click Generate in the True Random Number Generator. All right, here we go. I'm clicking right now. Drum roll, please. Make it the All Fall Together outro drum roll, please. Thank you. Here we go. Okay. The number is 19. 19. 19. So then I can tell you who is the winner. The winner is John McCaskill. And you can open that document now and verify that this has been fair and square. Yes, I have the same thing. Congratulations, John. And you, you have won a great prize courtesy of John, JF&G, who has donated these prizes. Yes. Lovingly. So thank you, John, and uh, congratulations, John. Awesome. So so if JF&G wrote John on his CD, we don't need to erase that. It's going to the next John. Excellent. We did it. I yeah. So We're how, done. how how do we really sum everything up when when the gas tank is empty and the axle has broke? Because I think that's where we are now. Yes. We need some, we need some ugly bastard to come out of the desert and save us. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. But like I said on the outro of the last show, relieved and proud are the two adjectives I would use. I think we did a, a good job on this, and um, I'm glad we're done. I'm glad we're done, and I'm glad it's I'm glad it's out there. And I got to say, I've really changed a little bit, substantially maybe, with with my perception of driving to Damascus doing this because I've been so enveloped in the album for a while now. And yeah, at one point it was my number nine album, you know, just and more because of the feelings around it than anything else. See, even though there were there were and still are songs that I'm not very fond of, but. I got I don't know where I would rank it right now, but I, there's. I don't think it would. There's any way it would be number nine um, at this point. It, it probably has gone up a couple notches for me, because there's just such a rich amount of material, and it's such an interesting period for the band. And you could tell that you know whatever they were doing, they they tried very very hard, and there, there was no shortage of effort put forth to do the best album they possibly could do. Yeah, no doubt. And certainly the number of songs they wrote to come up with enough material that would make the cut. It's the most for any album. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah. So this is one of those instances where the, the podcast has actually helped me appreciate an album more. Good. And and, and in that process, pushed other albums down. The, podca- <laughs> the podcast is pushing stuff down, man. It's it's taken over Why the Long Face. It's, it's, it's lapped Why the Long Face, I've got to tell you. I think it, no, I think that... It's, that. I think You're it's, not allowed to say that. I think it's Come definitely on. gone above that, yeah. yeah. This will be edited out. This is outrageous. <laughs> this, I won't stand for it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it went up a couple of notches for you. I, I had it at seven, and that's where I have it. But what does a ranking mean? I mean, I know. Apart, apart from the fact that you now have to go to your wife and convince her that it's not her number nine either. And <laughs> I wish we could make a podcast just with those discussions. But, yeah, really. Well, I'm, I'm not even going to bother that with that. But, uh... <laughs> Johnny, if, if you, after listening to all these, if you ever even make it to this point after 26 hours of discussion, listen to them all again, <laughs> and that, that will change your mind. She hasn't even listened to any of these yet. No, our, our wives are not the most keen listeners. That, that holds true for both of us. But Jen is never more than two, three, four, five episodes behind. Oh, I think, my, 
I think my wife is probably maybe maybe back in, in the 30s, possibly. Oh, she did the Steel Towns. She had a splurt of posts about that, those episodes. Oh, that's right, that's right. And I remember that because uh, there were points she agreed with me on. <laughs> so I will never forget. <laughs> she probably picks and chooses. That's probably what she does. Yeah. And that's uh, one way of, to listen, and uh, that's fine. And um, that's what... That's what I would have done. I wouldn't have sat through these bastards from beginning to... Okay, I would have. Because that's how I roll. But uh, in theory, I could have done it differently. Yeah, yeah. Well... All right, we're waffling. We're, we are we're, finished. We're, yeah. Literally finished. And, uh, yeah. I actually can get back to my real life now. <laughs> I never have to think so deeply about this album again. <laughs> no. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> feeling. All right, well... Perfect. And with that, we... Uh, the drive to Damascus has well and truly concluded. We are situated next to the fountain in the market square of Damascus, sipping on a prize umbrella drink. And uh, I think I'm going to be sitting here the next five years to recover. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I'm looking for a bed and breakfast right now. <laughs> the bed or the breakfast? Yeah, well, yeah, probably the bed first. <laughs> makes sense all right so that, that's it yeah thank you guys thanks for going on the journey with us and um we hope you've gotten a lot out of it just as we have we've got a lot of great comments and please keep them coming because that really means a lot to us to uh get that kind of feedback so if you if you feel a certain way about these episodes good or bad don't keep it to yourself let us know let us know on our facebook page we like the feedback and uh with that we are going to disappear into the mist for a while, and we will be back at some point. Who knows when? Disappear into another misty morning. Oh, I knew I walked right into that. <laughs> All right. Fare thee well, my fairy fae. That's right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes. We'll see you next time. And there will be a next time. Let me know when I can rant. All right, hold on. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. My alarm is going off. And that means I need to check an auction on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> because this bastard is not going to get this item. That closes in mere minutes. What is so, it? It's something for Nicholas. So it's not no big country collectibles or anything like that. Okay, I have the current high bid. Now I just need to twiddle my thumbs for two minutes. I guess theoretically I could do a 90-second thing, but I would be thinking about this. So <laughs> it wouldn't work. <laughs> okay, I won the auction. So now I'm going to uh, go grab a drink. Nice. Good job. Yeah. Yay me. All right. One more minute, then I'll be back. All right. I'm back. Always a great entrance. <clears throat> oh, Yes. All right, where are we? Let me see. I'm supposed to start on Ages of a Man. Do my oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. You ready? 
yes, I'm in uh, auction euphoria. So this this so this is good for ages of a man. <laughs> Yes, I'm on my own I guess it's kind of obvious I'm eating here alone I'm grateful for the company Tired of talking to myself Don't you look into my eyes You might see someone else a movie about a man who saved the world had the same old happy ending where the hero gets the girl all I ever wanted was to be that hero too then I might still be with her instead of here with you love is a smuggle legend Fragile thinking I spend the lag of the cold nights Missing you Keep it in your hands over Let it take wing I spend the lag of the cold nights Missing you Thank you for your time now I'm gonna go in and walk might as well do that Because I'm running out of time I could walk a thousand miles tonight And never find my place At least until it gets too light To hide my tearful face Love is a smuggling Fragile thing I spend a lot of cold nights missing you Keep it in your hands over Let it take wing I spend a lot of cold nights missing you I spend a lot of cold nights missing you There's a low ballet on the highway Three faces in the light I catch them for a second Heading somewhere in the night And we have no connection But the darkness and the road I better find the place tonight I better call it home Love is a smuggling Fragile thinking I spend a lot of cold nights missing you Keep it in your hands over Let it take wing I spend a lot of cold nights missing you I spend a lot of cold nights missing you 